It is 1995. Open season! Hunting is the national sport, and people are the prey. The world is ruled by a strict regime. They're going to make obedient little citizens out of us. Who are? Society. What do you mean? Let's Step me... out of line, and they take you to the funny farm. You could die laughing. All you have to do is lead my guests on a chase for one day. A little sport. You're going to kill us? Not necessarily. You might survive. Is everybody ready? Come on, you big piece of shit. You come to me. <laughs> I'm the one you can't break. I'm what you've been afraid of all your life. I'm afraid of nothing. You're afraid of failing. <gasps> now, my little flower. Yes, I'm going to taste your honey. It is less the size of one's gun that comes. Or the skill with which it's used. Don't you kill him, Jennifer! He's my target! This is Thatcher. The hunt is over. Shoot on sight, shoot to kill. Let me come with you. No way. Please take me with you. Don't leave me here. and the hunted. The quick and the dead. Oh, shit! Oh. Who will survive the blood and thunder shocker of the year? the bloody pit i am rod barnett and tonight i have two guests this time to talk about this film because it takes three people at a bare minimum to discuss the film turkey shoot first returning victim returning man other podcaster man who has podcasts of his own bobby hazard hey guys what's going on it's good to be back and we are here with my friends i don't have a Adjective to go with my name. Um, the, 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 the beautiful mighty, the Bobby mighty. Hazard. Jumpin' Johnny Hudson. <laughs> Jumpin' Johnny Hudson. <laughs> Jazzy Johnny Hudson. John Hudson, who uh, I, I've now turned loose on the podcast to make choices about what films we cover. And of course, 
I know I will eventually regret it, but luckily this time I don't regret it. This uh, the idea to cover Turkey Shoot actually came from both of these guys. It's not a film that I have a problem with. It's just a film that I hadn't thought about covering in for, I don't know, ever. I've watched it multiple times. Um, but before we dive into a discussion of Turkey Shoot, uh, Mr. Hudson, you said you'd seen something recently that you wanted to you wanted to like bring up and discuss real quick. Yeah, just briefly because I um, for Christmas I got a copy of the book. Uh, I think it's more sex, better, more zen, better bullets. I, I, now I'm terrible. Oh, it's on uh, Japanese exploitation. Stuff? Chinese. It's the Hong oh. Kong films. Oh, nice. oh, okay, okay, okay. And I. I I'm really selling it here by not getting the title right. You're, <laughs> but, you're fucking it up totally. But it totally reminded me how much I love Hong Kong films. I've started to dig out some of my Hong Kong films and watch them again. And just recently watched, for the first time in forever, Dragons Forever, which is out on a really nice set oh, from nice. Eureka. And, man, I love those movies. It's, yeah, they're a blast. It's got Jackie Chan, Sammo Hung, Yuen Bio, all together. The three the three dra- the three three brothers, I think they were called. Yeah. Also has many of the Jet or Kias who you, you can spot... If you know him, you can spot him immediately. Just look for the white guy who can kick, and that's, <laughs> that's him. But just a really fun movie. And um, I've never seen a good version of that film. The last time I saw it was probably back in the 90s on one of those incredibly shitty VHS copies with the uh, who English as a third language subtitles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would... I mean, it might. It would honestly be like watching it for the first freaking time if I were able to get a decent copy of it. I'm glad you reminded me of that. Actually, I yeah. think I've seen that as well, but I would have seen it at the way back when. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure I've seen that one, but it's been so long I can barely remember. It's wow. back in the days when I used to rent from Blast Off Video in Atlanta and mail them back their tapes. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a similar situation. I used wow. to do that with um, cinema. It was Video Wasteland back then, where you could rent movies from. Send a waste and you could rent them, and of course you'd never think about renting them and copying them yourself. Mm-hmm. And oh, oh no, never, never, never. But then I also used to go to Asian groceries and Asian markets around Nashville and try to find the ones that rented movies. Oh, nice. And there was yeah. a little one that was down off of Fourth Avenue, is right around where Three Twenty Eight Performance Hall was later. Mm-hmm. And I would go in there and uh, about once every month, and I would rent. I'd go in there on a Saturday morning and rent about six of them, take them home, dub them all off, and then go back. Shh, shh, shh. Well, the place is gone now. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, I think the statute of limitations has run yeah, out. Yeah, and now. if you can chase down the copyrights on the stuff that I was written. <laughs> but they would see me coming, and the guy would like just get out the little... He would pull up my rental history. And most of the time, you weren't sure if you are going to get subtitles at all. Mm-hmm. Oh, You couldn't tell what the movies were, even by the spines. And I would have to pull them out. and was like, oh, wait, that looks like... Sort of like Chow Yun Fat in the background there. Maybe this is good. Well, there's a photo of a guy holding a gun. So yeah, maybe that looks good. Thriller, that maybe. looks good. And, and I found some really great stuff that way. I found a lot of uh, Ringo Lamb films that way. Um, a lot of the, that, those are always in yeah. Movie. Oh my God, Ringo Lamb. But I got a lot of raised eyebrows for sure. I remember one time I was there, like going through, just pulling out each film individually. Like, oh, what's this one? What's this one? And then this guy comes up to me. You speak Chinese? I know, sir, I don't. Why you rent movie? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm a movie net. <laughs> net. See, I I, uh, I lived in Albany, Georgia, uh, up until I was 23 years old, and I was very lucky, and I, 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 know, I, I don't know if I mentioned it on a podcast before, I was very lucky so there was this one place, it was a newsstand, a Christian bookstore, they had video games there, and they had a giant movie selection in the back, they were called Lowell's, long gone, it's been gone for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. If you went back, if you could go back in time, 
and look at what they had in their horror movie section, you would lose your mind because it was all like insane stuff. Like every label that all the nerds go crazy for, they were all there. Gorgon Video, Wizard Video, Continental, uh, all that it's stuff. Like the, was there. It's like the mom and pop video stores of my youth, which is oh, yeah. I was able to see just some yeah. really obscure stuff put out on those those dodgy ass labels at times. And yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I think so was that, was iMagic Video still here when you moved to Nashville? No, I don't believe that so. was over um, not too far from here, where the Kroger is. Yeah, yeah. And it was a big VHS store, and they had some laser discs. But I don't think they, I think they opened probably around 1979, mm-hmm. and I don't think they ever got rid of anything. Oh, nice. Well, I, I think, think that was right. Lowell's. That was Lowell's. Yeah, you yeah. could go in there and like, well, okay, let's see what I'm going to rent today. Hmm, Night of the Bloody Apes, Truck Stop Women. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, here's some bootleg episodes of the Avengers. I'll rent <laughs> all the hell? these. Yeah, so, it was, that's the kind of stuff they just had all over the place. The the one regret I have in life is uh, as I was coming back and visiting my parents after I moved from Austin, Texas, moved to Austin, Texas, excuse me, was Lowell's was liquidating all of their videos, and I bought a handful of things. I I had an original copy of Doctor Butcher, MD. I had uh, the Clamshell of Rock and Roll High School, which I sold off before I moved up from Austin to Nashville just to get rid of things. Like a dumbass. Um, <laughs> so much, only so much space. But uh, yeah, I mean, I could have made so much money in, in the future off some of those video cassettes. I have no idea what happened to them. Yeah. But as as I got older and I was going to Atlanta a lot, uh, I discovered Blast Off Video, which was in a back alley in Little Five Points. And the owner Sam, who was uh, no longer with us, was a great guy. Introduced me to so many things. Uh, he one of his holy grail movies was The Loved One. If you've ever seen that movie. Oh, the Peter Sellers yeah. yeah. It was out of print in the 90s. I guess uh, Turner Classic Movies put it out, and then it went out of print. He's like, I'm really looking for this. If you can find it, I found it. He gave me so much store credit, dubbed me so many movies from that. I found that a bunch of Spectre Man movies, and he was just going crazy for all of it. Oh, yeah. But he got me into so many different things, and sometimes he'd be like, oh, hey, here's a Rene Bon porno. Like, you just go in the back and throw it. <laughs> just send it back to me when you're done. You know, Russ Meyer movies, old Ed Wood movies, uh, all the Hong Kong stuff, which is, yeah, he got me into so much stuff. Um, unfortunately, he's no longer with us. I heard he, worked, he closed down a shop and worked for CNN later, and now he's gone. But yeah, well remembered by me because I didn't have things like Vulcan Video or I Love Video anywhere near me until I moved to Austin. And then that was another discovery of all kinds of different stuff going with those, those video stores. And uh, I Love Video just closed down. Well, I think one of the things, especially in the 90s, that, that allowed me and probably lots of other people in similar situations to see a lot of this kind of stuff is just making friends, running across people or, or having friends who are interested in the same things and then having this bizarre little tentacle network from these people out into yeah. other areas where, oh, hey, I've, I found this and, and I, I this friend had this copy of this and, and they would make a copy of it and you'd get it, you know, like second or third generation, but it was a still... It was still just a way to finally see some of this yeah. shit that maybe you read about in Psychotronic Magazine or something like that, where you're yeah. just like, I really want to see this, but I don't know how I'll ever do it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, here's a question for you mm-hmm. to shift into Turkey Shoot. How did you first see this movie? Because I have a very specific memory of wanting to see it when it came out in theaters and not ever being able to until it came to video because it was advertised, it was released here in the States as Escape 2000. Yeah. And I remember seeing the newspaper ads, and my frame of reference at the time was uh, the movie The Stuntman. So I knew Steve Railsback from The Stuntman, which is just an incredible movie. And I was like, oh, okay, well, apocalyptic science fiction film, 
Bing, 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 Road Warrior, right? That's mm-hmm. what goes off as a bell in my head. Not even knowing at the time that it was also an Australian movie. I had no idea at the time. I've, uh, I've always had a special place in my heart for all those kind of movies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, the exploitation stuff. Now, that's what's weird is I think this may be the first exploitation film I've ever covered as part of a podcast, which is really strange considering how much I, lo- how much I love them and how much variety there is within that spectrum of just... If you're just talking about stuff produced in Australia from the 70s through the early 90s, Man, there's just every kind of movie on under God's green earth. I mean, I, I, I'm assuming you guys have seen like Next of Kin, yeah, mm-hmm. which I think is one of the most brilliant, <clears throat> underappreciated. Now, maybe it's not as underappreciated as it used to be, but it's like everybody knows. Okay, the Mad Max movies; those are the big ones that everybody knows. Those are Australian. Those are Australian exploitation films. Maybe you even know Razorback or something like that. But when you start getting into Next of Kin and Turkey Shoot, people might know Turkey Shoot and not even associate it with the exploitation stuff. But that's what it is. And of course, as soon as you see one particular actor from the film, it's like, oh, isn't he Mad yeah. Max's boss in Mad Max? Yeah, and he's an asshole a in this. Oh, yeah. And Razorback, you might not be surprised. Of course, that used to be on cable a lot. Right. And right. my dad, who of course loves anything with a giant animal killing people, <laughs> big fan of Razorback. <laughs> that big old pig running around. <laughs> now, uh, killing these stupid <laughs> bastards who can't speak right. Uh, I'm going to say for Turkey Shoot, I'm, a, I'm, I'm kind of a late to the party on this one. Oh, okay. um, uh, I never heard of it when I was a kid. I can't remember if I tried to see it on Amazon or if it was on YouTube a few years back. And I think I watched about half of it. Mm-hmm. And I do like Brian Trenter Smith a lot because he directed one of my all time favorite movies, which is the movie Rod refuses to cover, what? which is stunt rock. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not. Uh, Stunt Rock is. Well, Stunt Rock's oh, not a movie. Y'all hear the pedals going back just a little here. <laughs> Here's the thing. Their I pedals mean, are in reverse, if right? There was, if there was a plot in Stunt Rock, I'd be more than willing to cover it because it's not that it's not an entertaining watch. It's that what the fuck would we talk about? We would like, what, play one of the songs from the band? And then talk about how cool the stunt sequence was that, 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 that the. Oh, God, what's that? What's that stuntman's name? Um. Oh. He's in everything. He's in a road. Oh games. darn it! I can't remember his name, but I mean, like half the movie is watching this. You know, watching this stuntman, this Australian stuntman who would do damn near anything, and half of it is watching this, this, uh, this rock band on stage. And it's like, don't get me wrong, I enjoy both parts of it, but they don't fit together in any way, shape, or form, other than we've decided to stick them together in a single film. That's what makes it so. So great. you ask, is that what we talk about? Yes, that, that, <laughs> that's exactly that, what we that, talk. That's about. Like, exactly. It would be like it would be like sixty percent. Okay, here, check out this sound clip, <laughs> and forty percent of us going, "Well, that was cool." <laughs> that, this sounds like a good show to me. I, I don't. I really don't see what the problem is. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not. I, yes, my initial my initial no on stunt rock revolved around what the fuck would we do. <laughs> <laughs> He also turned down Grunt the movie, so yes, I yes, want to, uh, I, I do turn down brief. Grunt the movie the same way I turned down a pup. the wrestling movie. Oh, sorry, that's right. Uh, I, tu- I turn it down in the, <laughs> yeah. for the for the exact same reason and for the exact same emotional content that I turned down a willing punch in the balls. So <laughs> it's like no, thank you. Ah uh, man, this must 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 been felt to feel like to be in that rehabilitation camp to have somebody <laughs> so cruel and unfeeling in charge. Always bringing us down. Uh, yes, you you certainly are as 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 put upon as the denizens of Blood Camp Thatcher. Yes, that's what yeah, it feels like to me. Well, oh, but uh, going back to what I was saying real quick. Sorry to. Do oh. that little interlude there and give you some grief. But uh, <laughs> there might be more of that coming. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. But, 
But uh, I honestly had not watched this movie until I got it from the last Severance sale. I watched about half of it. For some reason, I just did watch the rest. And I think I kind of missed the last half of the movie, which I know we'll get into, where it just really goes apeshit crazy. Oh, it goes insane. Yeah. Maybe it's because I did, may, just made it through like the, the slower half and then, you know, didn't... Uh, you know, I always admit, I, most movies I watch, unless I really hate it, and I, didn't, I never hated this movie, um, I always mean to go back and watch or try to finish... But this one, I, for some reason, didn't until a few months ago. And I was just like, why the hell did I finish this movie? This is great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sometimes it happens and you think, well, why did I not watch this? And yeah. why did I? It, just the distractions of life can yeah. sometimes come about it. Well, how did you first see it? I right? may have been. I know I didn't see it on VHS or anything okay. long ago. It was probably when Seven put it out on DVD originally. Uh, well, it was, a, I think it was an Anchor Bay DVD first. Then that must have been. Yeah. It. yeah, it was yeah. The, whenever the DVD came out is yeah. when I saw it. And, um, just thought it was great. And then, um, of course, when Severn put it out on Blu-ray, I bought it and didn't watch it immediately since I'd already seen the movie. But sort of like what Ryan was saying, I eventually, oh, let me go watch this again. It's like, why have I not watched this again in so long? This is great. Well, th- that's the thing is, I saw it on VHS sometime in the 90s, but it didn't make much of an impression. I think that I think maybe because I wanted to see it when it was in theaters and didn't get the chance... When I finally when I when I saw it on VHS, it was just like okay, well, this is an, another film of this type. But then it was the DVD release on Anchor Bay when I when I when I sat down for some reason just seeing it on DVD, it was something like, well, this is crazy, <laughs> and maybe it was some of the extras which kind of give context for for what they were aiming for and how and some of the problems they had during production and things like that. It made me appreciate it even more. But I remember watching that DVD like three or four times, <laughs> just going. This is this is nuts. There's things in here that don't need to be in here. There's things in here that you know clearly are just in, in, insane. There's no point. Yeah. There's it's ridiculous. Uh, but the the fun of it never never. So let's put it this way: as soon as somebody put it out on Blu-ray, it was an immediate. Oh yeah, well of course. Click. You know, it hits all the marks for a fun exploitation film. Precisely. Yeah, and it's and it's not aiming to be anything else. And it's trying to uh, it's trying to push the limits of what, not just what's good taste or a good idea, but also what they were capable of with the budget and the time they had, which is always something that I kind of enjoy. It's like uh, they kind of yeah. it's like there's a couple of scenes in the movie where you go uh, they kind of fail here, but they fail in a way that you kind of respect. Yeah, and there's a, there's a lot of things you know that. Uh, they did talk about having to cut like 15 to 20 pages out of the script, which they oh, said most yeah. of it was like the intro to the two main characters. Well, they were going to shoot for eight weeks and then they could only shoot for five. So yeah. you got you're eliminating a lot. Yeah. And in a hurry, too. Yeah. So it's not like they had a lot of thought to say, well, let's prune this judiciously. It's just rip some pages out. <laughs> okay, we can't do this. We, we, we can't do the intro that shows you the larger world. That's out. We just fucking can't do it. We're just going to have to do it verbally, you know. Yeah, you... Uh, you you, you definitely can tell that it's a, it's a rush job, but it's still so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because one thing I wrote down here is uh, multiple scenes were rewritten or out or cut completely. Uh, simultaneous second unit photography by pro, uh, producer David Hemmings. Which was a shock to learn. I did not know that yeah. before, but learning that when you learn that, and it's even, it, it turns up when they're talking to Roger Ward, the guy who was uh, Mad Max's boss in the original film, he talks about how all that stuff on the beach. Mm-hmm. That that's some of the sec- that's some of the that's some of the, the stuff that David unit, yeah. that's what David Hemmings was shooting at the time because they didn't have time 
to even have Ryan Trenchard Smith, the actual director of the movie, shoot everything. Yeah. They had to get it in the can. And those two didn't get along at all, uh, Trenchard Smith and David Hemmings. Um, oh, really? I think I he know. blames David Hemmings for some of the choices, like where they set the camp. Wasn't it? It was like forty miles or forty minutes away from. <laughs> and David Hemmings picked that spot before they got there, oh, and God. then suddenly, like this giant rain comes, so they had to rearrange the shooting schedule. But, and I was going to say this for later, but since we're talking about David Hemmings right now, this is from Brian Trenchard Smith's book of Adventures in the B Movie Trade. Oh, cool! And um, I think it's a pretty good story about how they did not get along. Uh, sadly, my relationship with David Hemmings deteriorated during the shoot. On wrap, after a hard shooting day, I nursed a beer in the production office. His wife, Margaret, Brian's wife, Margaret, freshly arrived from Los Angeles, joined me with our nine-week-old son, Eric, in her arms. Hemmings approached. After being introduced to Margaret, he bent forward and cooed over our baby. Nine weeks old, he said. He's much more mature than his father. <laughs> I poured beer over his bent head. Don't use my newborn son as a means of mocking me in front of my wife. Taken aback, beer dripping from his chin, he sputtered, Was that really necessary? Just demonstrating my maturity. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Honestly, having seen so many interviews with Brian Trenchard Smith and watching him do uh, stuff on, like, Trailers from Hell, that attitude, that that is exactly what I would expect. He's so great. Yeah. 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 Great, great man. Uh, one interesting thing I, when I was doing my research, I, I found out is the original script was set in a Depression-era Deep South. Really? Yeah. yeah. And it said because they were using the uh, Australian film tax scheme, the 10BA. Uh, uh, oh yeah, it was. It made it a lot cheaper to shoot films yeah. there. Yeah. They had to do it. Uh, they had to do it in Australia, so they suggested to set it in the future and make it more universal. But can you imagine this film being set? Yeah, it was going to be sort of that. They kept calling it Camp on Blood Island, where they play most dangerous game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and it, it would have cost a fortune to do it in the '80s as a Depression era. Oh yeah, piece. Definitely. But setting it in the future in an Australian, you know, apocalyptic. described by uh, Brian Trenchard Smith as a uh, a cross-genre piece in which, quote, 1984 meets the camp on Blood Island where they play the most dangerous game, unquote. That's a perfect description of this movie. And uh, it's also... (laughs) That that description alone encompasses all of the exploitation elements that make me love this fucking movie. That make this thing almost (laughs) impossible to fail. You would have to be really incompetent as a series as, as a group of filmmakers to not make that idea be at least vaguely entertaining even if it was just like watching something fail stupidly on screen uh, and you know don't get me wrong there are people who would consider including some of the people who made this movie who would consider that that is the that is the case at oh, least yeah. in portions oh, yeah. of this movie <laughs> definitely some but, of the cast do not have kind things to say about and, this and movie. I would understand it for a couple of reasons one uh, several of the actors, 
got in, you know, said yes to the project when it was going to be an eight eight week shoot with a, with a fair a fair amount more money, uh, with you know, and uh, with the other actors involved. They thought, hey, you know, this is going to be this level, you know, a certain level of filmmaking, and then suddenly money's gone. We only have five weeks instead of three. We're having to rush through things. Pages of the script are being, you know, tossed into the ocean. So, to a large degree, the actors were almost set up to be angry at the situation they found themselves in in the first place. Makes sense. But at the same time, if you, like some of the actors, if you have a certain attitude toward it, especially looking back, I think it's a lot easier years after the fact, after the disappointment has worn off for what you hoped it might be, to kind of enjoy what was actually what was actually able to be accomplished. The, um, the well... To call it a troubled production is, is ridiculous. We've already talked about how yeah. they had to they had so little time that they literally divided the production up into two different units, and not just a second unit, but a, a unit that led by one of the producers actually shooting sections of the fin- finished film so they could get it all in the can. Well, they Which, also had to cut out a helicopter chase yep. completely, and originally there was going to be another hunter, mm-hmm. which they had to eliminate. So what was his griff? They had to, well, we need to get a reason for him to be out there hunting. Well, we'll punish him by putting him out there, but they yeah. didn't have another hunter to hunt him, so they just <laughs> eliminated a part to save some money. So That always did seem to be a weird plot point. Now it makes a little bit more yeah. sense. But, but, it is, but it is interesting in that because they knew that they needed to do that, they set it up well enough within the film. They make this guy a disgruntled fella mm. who... The, the Thatcher, the guy running the place, has a grudge against, and so when he when they when they in, when they shove that into it, you even have some of the other characters, a couple of one of the other hunters actually say, "Well, wait a minute, who who I mean, we we have to hunt our individual person that we've picked, so who does who gets to hunt him?" And Thatcher kind of like puts his foot down and says, "He's mine as well," you know, as if, he's for execution. Yeah, he's for, for execution, execution, not for this. That so, makes sense, and it's not something that jumps right out, but. I think they papered over the missing pages pretty well. Yeah. Agreed. Now, granted, I think we it would, it, it's always fun, especially for movies from this period of time, to see how they might have envisioned the you know near future, uh, you know dystopian world that this is obviously a part of. But at the same time, without enough money and time, it was not going to be very effective. The, the glimpse we get is the right at the beginning where um, um, Olivia Hussey's character. Who's just you know someone who you know runs a runs a business has a run in an accidental run in with the uh, security forces because someone who's being chased by these security forces runs into her store mm-hmm. and she just gets gathered up because they assume that the person ran in here because she was involved in some kind of you know revolutionary group or something like that. Yeah. So that's the only real view outside of the camp we get of what this society might look like, and that is you know at minimal at the very best. Yeah, there's not nothing very futuristic about this futuristic society. Well, there's one thing though that you know means it's from the future, and that's the numerals on the sides of the trucks are written in the digital font, <laughs> <laughs> and that that automatically means future. Um, you're right. I forgot. About that. Yeah, yeah. That automatically means Jesus. We're right around the corner from Blade Runner. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So clearly, we're in the future. <laughs> so the. Um, like I say, I have, a, I have a lot of affection for the exploitation stuff. If, if uh, listener, if you've never seen the documentary, uh, not quite Hollywood, highly recommend. Oh yeah, it's going to make you want to see everything in that movie. It is so good. Exactly. Oh, yeah. It is. Is it a great documentary? You will sit there. I mean, I, I 
every I know I did. You sit there with a with a piece of paper, realizing I need to make notes on the films I've never heard of so that I can track them down. And uh, luckily, ever since that movie was produced, I think it came out at like twelve years ago. It's become easier and easier to find a lot of these movies because more and more uh, more and more of them have been released in nice editions. Usually yeah. over here in the states. Oh even. yeah. So. Well, and to, this is going to totally go down a different path, but. I say frequently that we live in golden times. Mm. Not long ago, we do. I was looking at my Hammer Films shelf for my Blu-rays, and I can remember probably, well, it's probably been about 30 years ago, subscribing to Cinemax for a month in October because they were showing two Hammer Films a month, uncut, yeah, that you couldn't see. And I remember like um, Devil Rides Out was one of them, and The Witches was one, and um it was just, you couldn't see these things. It was impossible. Yeah. And now I look at my shelf, and here's almost everything mm-hmm. in perfect digital productions. And it's just another example of, like, everything is coming out. It's it's so great. It's that thing. I, I currently have two Blu-rays of The Curse of Frankenstein and two Blu-rays of Hard Dracula, for God's sake. Welcome. I've been expecting you. I am Charles Thatcher, your camp master. must be Chris Walters. Seems you've been upsetting some of the wrong people. Was I? Make damn sure you don't upset me. And you would be Rita Daniels. Yes, you'll get on here very well, I'm sure. Paul Anders. Re-ed Camp 42, escaped. Camp 70, released on forged papers. The Mod Urban Center 6, escaped. You've acquired quite a reputation, haven't you? Read a lot about you too, Fletcher. Supposed to run a tough camp. I get results. Well, one of the things that definitely ties this to some of the more obvious and bigger-named exploitation stuff from the period would be the the composer Brian May, who of yes. course I know from the the Mad Max films, and I guess that's I think that's where most of us probably ran across Brian May for the first time. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's weird. He's, he's a year younger than my mom, but he died at ninety seven, so seven twenty eight thirty four to four twenty five ninety seven. Wow. Okay, Quick I didn't life. I didn't realize he passed away that long ago. Um, I did some research on him, and I've even found an interview. Uh, outside of his film career, I wish I could say like there is more interesting stuff. Uh, he was involved with Australian TV and actually released single a, a hit single. Really? Yeah. Um, there's like a whole like I didn't write it down, but it's like some kind of Australian like house band that he played with, and they mm-hmm. had like a hit single in the early seventies. But he. Well, by the way, am I the only one who it took years for me to figure out that he wasn't the Brian May from Queen? No, you're not. Uh, yeah. yeah. Back I, in the pre-internet age, it's like yeah. well, here's this guy named Brian May, and yeah. Took it, me, it took me I could see Brian May doing soundtrack stuff. I one, mean, yeah, one's British, one's Australian, and that's that's how you have to differentiate. When I first started buying some of the soundtracks, which I'll tell you which ones I have here in a minute, but um, I saw that name and I'm like, is that? No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, so I figured it out pretty quickly. It took it took me forever. <laughs> but he was uh, he was involved in the golden age of exploitation. I mean, he did a lot of great stuff. So uh, here's just kind of a. Uh, a, a short list of stuff he did that people that would listen to his podcast would uh, recognize. He did the true story of Eskimo Nell in 75. Okay, yeah. Patrick in 78. Yes. Then uh, the obvious one, Mad Max, 79. 
Uh, he also did Thurston 79, which I, I own. That, that's, a, that's an interesting score and a little bit different from... Yeah. yeah, 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 a little bit different from what I would expect from him to a degree. Uh, a movie called Harlequin, a.k.a. The Day After Halloween, which that's been released in the States as The Day After Halloween. Uh, or uh, Snapshot. It's called Snapshot, too? I think so. Okay. Am I wrong? I think that's the one. I think Vinegar Syndrome put it out. Snapshot, yeah. Okay, I did not know that. No. I might have to go and get that movie. A film of multiple titles. Uh, Road Games, 81. Mad yeah, Max. yeah, yeah. Great Mad, film. Mad Max 2, a.k.a. The Road Warrior, 1981. And here's what I did not. Know. Here's two I did not know he did. Missing in Action Two: The Beginning in '85. There you go. <laughs> uh, Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare in 1991, which I think I knew that, but I'd forgotten. Oh, I did not know that. Boy, that's a bad movie. <laughs> it's not a good film. Yeah. I just hate the ending, but I don't really mind. Did you it. see it in the theater? Yes, I did too, and it with was three, cool with the glasses. With the 3D glasses, yeah, I do remember that. I wish I still had those glasses. I, I probably still have mine somewhere. <laughs> you uh, keep every damn thing. I do. I still got my basket case surgical mask where I saw a basket case in the nice. theater. Nice. Wow. It's tucked away in my Blu-ray. Now, here's 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 an odd one he did at the very end of the list. Uh, Dr. Giggles, 1992. <laughs> yeah. He did? He did Dr. Giggles. Wow. That's um, un- that's I did not know that. And he also has done one episode of Tales from the Crypt. Uh, which one? I'm not 100% sure, but I know that he did it. That's a pretty impressive resume, though. And that's not even like half the movies ever listed. I just didn't recognize the other ones. I was and like, that oh. kept him working with Dr. Giggles, and that got him up into the 90s pretty deep, and you said he died yeah. in 97. So. Yeah, five years before he died. Yeah. That's it's, a pretty prolific career, you know, when he decides to go out on his own. And he made it all the way to Hollywood, too. So yeah. So he wasn't just stuck in Australia. I'm sure he got some nice paydays from Freddy's Dead. And, and uh, I have... So good for him. You, you would hope so anyway. Yeah. I believe I have the soundtrack for Patrick. I know I got Mad Max, Thirst, Day After Halloween, Mad Max 2, uh, Freddy's Dead. And they're all great soundtracks. I was actually re-listening to uh, the one for this movie, and I'd forgotten how good it was, too. Just even without watching the movie, it's mm-hmm. just really good, really well done. Yeah, it, it does make me wonder. I know that uh, as far as part of the production costs are concerned, you know, the, 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 the cost of recording a, the score is part of that and I do often wonder uh, if the budget can, the budget getting slashed had any uh, had any effect on Brian May's recording of the recording of the score mm-hmm. because sometimes scores are recorded you know before a film even goes into production they, they start recording and therefore they may have uh, they may have had everything they wanted before they ran into the problems the money problems that the film ran into and I'd be curious to know if we, if, if it was ever to, if we if we could find out. Yeah, it's, 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 that's really interesting because sometimes, most of the time that I've read coming into this stuff is uh, they usually do it at the tail end because mm-hmm. they have to. It, ver- it varies it. depending on schedules, but it yeah. does. Yeah, this would probably be one where I think they'd be doing it to ass in and as a rush job, but it sounds good. Like, yeah, it's it's perfect. Going, what they want going yeah. through the tracks, I was like, this is a pretty damn good soundtrack. Yeah, it is. It's a strong muscular s- score, and it. It really it, it does enhance the film, especially oh, yeah. especially the action sequences. I have to say, definitely. But then you know anybody who's seen, man, especially the Road Warrior, the, Brian May knew how to score action sequences. He oh, knew yeah. how to keep the uh, emotional level up high and keep it elevated, and it's very it, it's very effective in that regard. Yeah, he's a he's a top notch composer, and maybe maybe slightly like you know overlooked just because of the most of the. Australian stuff that he did. Mm-hmm. Of course, Road yeah. Warrior was such an influential film for so many reasons, but of course it 
directly inspired not only the wrestling character Lord Humongous, but mm-hmm. also the Real Warriors oh, yeah. tag team, none of whom were in Grunt the Wrestling movie. <laughs> Thank God for that. <laughs> but it was still very influential. Escape 2000, a.k.a. Camp Blood Thatcher, or Blood, Blood Camp Thatcher, I should say. 1982, ah, we have, uh, I love this, we're going to use this uh, this plot synopsis from Wikipedia because I think it's it's fun to go through it and use it as a jumping off point because, um, well, you'll, you'll understand what I'm saying as we go along. In the near, in, okay, it takes place in the near future, so, you know, Imagine a theremin playing. How's that? Yeah, we'll, we'll just say it's 1992. <laughs> <laughs> in, in a near future totalitarian state, so-called social deviants are sent to mass prison camps for re-education and behavior modification. The new arrivals at Camp 47 are Chris Walters, a shopkeeper accused of helping a rebel. That would be Olivia Hussey. Rita Daniels, a suspected prostitute... Played by Linda Stoner. Who has a big cocoa puff under her eye. Yes, big cocoa does. puff? <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? Oh, you mean the mole? Yeah. yeah it looks like a cocoa puff stuff. <laughs> oh, <God>. It does. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was much more concentrated on looking at her body. I am insane. <laughs> well, Even. some of us are not so sexist as to point out the physical parts of a woman's body. <laughs> Other than the cocoa puff. Other than the cocoa yeah. puff. <laughs> of course. Yes, it's nice to know that she had a delicious part of a balanced breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly flavored. Well, uh, then there's uh, Paul, Paul Anderson. I mean, I'm sorry, Paul Anders, played by Steve Real, Railsback. Uh, he's a political dissident who has escaped from several other such camps of this type. And then there's uh, our camp master, Charles Thatcher. And before we get to Thatcher, I do want to point out one thing about Steve Railback, Railsback's scene where he's arrested. Mm-hmm. And I thought this was great. The officer who thumps him over the head with the billy club yeah. is Brian Trenchard Smith. Oh, oh my God, I did nice. not know that. Yeah, he got a little cameo there. <laughs> get to whack his main actor. So, so basically, they busted him for doing pirate radio. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> You know, we had a we had a pirate radio station in Austin, Texas. I was almost involved with. <sighs> it's dangerous. They they come and, and they have people like Brian Trenchard Smith whack you in the head for that man. You don't, don't want to get involved. <laughs> I'm kind of glad I, I just skipped that part because I really don't need to get whacked in the head by Brian Trenchard Smith. No, no, no. Yeah. He seems like such a nice guy as long yeah, as you stay would, on the right side of him. So. Yeah, I don't want to think badly of him. I pour beer on my head. <laughs> yeah, I, really. I was promised I'd get a show, but I never showed up to their little Tuesday political rallies because I was uh, working for a corporation. Yeah, which probably didn't. They shine very well on me, but you know, yeah. well, well, they're not going to pay my bills. So. That's right. This they're not going to pay your bills or get you insurance. So, 
Sometimes you got to sell out to the man. Well, the they call him Camp Master, but I just think of him as the warden. His name is Charles Thatcher. And he's Very played, coincidentally, by the way, I'm sure in 1982. Yeah, yeah, not I, I, not so coincidentally as far no, as I think not reality is concerned. Trevor Smith said that was very much on purpose. <laughs> yes, very much so. Uh, well, the the actor the actor playing Thatcher is uh, his name is Michael Craig, and uh, he had a very long career. And what's wild is that it wasn't I mean, there was always something familiar about him, but it was that kind of familiarity that I just get from. I don't know, middle-aged British actors mm-hmm. where it's just like they're so competent and good at what they're doing that I feel like I've probably seen them in something else regardless. Now, it turns out I have seen Mr. Craig in other things, but at the same time, he's exactly the right kind of actor for this kind of role. Yep. I'm going to have to agree with that. Yeah, yes, he's great 100%. and he's perfect. He is, I mean, there's he's 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 slick. He's very he's very good. He delivers the lines with the correct amount of evil. He's he's very good at getting across a sinister attitude without seeming as if he's too sinister to be believable. Yeah. He is a believable villain. Now we'll get to some unbelievable villains as the movie goes along, but he really kind of anchors the bad guys in a very good way. And by the way, I had seen him in other movies. Um, strange enough, he uh, he's in the classic Doctor Who uh, Trial of the Time Lord from the eighties. Really? Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. He's in one of the one of the stories involved in that. He was also in uh, the Ray Harryhausen film uh, Mysterious Island. Oh wow! wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, a town called Hell, the Telly Savalas movie from nineteen seventy, the, the the western the, with Telly Savalas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was even in the nineteen uh, sixties uh, Modesty Blaze film. Oh, very cool. Yeah, very yeah, cool. yeah. Huh. So yeah, you have seen yeah, as as you guys can attest, you've seen this guy in other movies. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, just definitely. one of those things where he's such a competent guy, and at this time he's got the graying hair, he's got the he's got the perfect English diction that he just he he's one of those guys you can clearly count on, and he's perfect in this movie. He really is great. Yeah, you, you really can't say anything bad about his one his role. No, and anything that he does, I mean, he he is just the perfect person for Thatcher. I can't imagine anybody. No, he's dead on, and he's again another actor. When you hear his interview. Hated this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but the thing is, even though he hated it, it's clear he's got a good attitude toward doing the work. Oh, he gave it his yeah. all. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's exactly what you want. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it, it didn't turn out to be what I wanted it to be, but at the same time, you're you took the job, you do the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got you. Got to like that. You got to respect it. Well, uh, being the nasty, sadistic bastard that he kind of has to be as this character, he subjects the the people in his camp to brutal and inhumane treatment. Chris, that would be uh, the Olivia Hussey, Olivia Hussey character, barely avoids being raped by the sadistic guards. And Paul, the political dissident played by Railsback, is tortured for intervening. So, you know, it's the kind of stuff that you would normally get yourself involved with when, strangely enough, and I, I kind of enjoy this aspect of this film, they don't separate the genders for housing in this prison camp. Everybody's uh, everybody's in the same place. And I like the way they kind of handle the very obvious problem that's going to get involved in that. They 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 spell it out. It's like we expect you assholes to fuck. Yeah. They don't say it that clearly, but if anybody gets knocked up, we're gonna abort the child and sterilize the woman who got pregnant. Yeah. So just be aware castrate the men and yep. homosexuality is punishable by death. Yep. And what was it about venereal disease? Oh, I did. They, they, there was something about that in the in the uh, in the announcement as well. I don't I remember that. I don't remember that, but maybe that's just uh, maybe you're the only one who caught that. Mm. Yeah, you're the one who caught venereal disease. <laughs> 
No, sir, I did not. But yes, I did catch. I did catch that comment. He caught the comment. Uh-huh. Well, their various cellmates in various stages of plotting escape attempts, but they're unaware that their ongoing attempts are being surveyed by the guards already. So there's a desire to escape by just about everybody involved, but um, it really only seems like um, Chris Walters, the Olivia Hussey character, is the real fish out of water. She's the one who really, you could one look at her and the way she's just not built for this. She's, she's not built in the headlights. Yeah, yeah. She, she, she's, you get the feeling she's the, she's the person who's like, wait a minute, I played by all the rules. I didn't do anything wrong. Why am I here? And it's like, it doesn't matter. This is the kind of society that's going to sweep yeah, she, people up I like think you. we're like looking at the shop she ran, which looked to be sort of an upper class, yeah. like antiques, finer things kind of shop. Yeah. And, and which is funny because Olivia Hussey, that pretty much described her on the set of this movie. She was apparently yep. a terrified of every crawling thing. So which, she's, yeah. of course, in Australia, which is filled with crawling things. <laughs> I honestly can't blame her. And as soon no as kidding. everyone found that out, they constantly told her how all the insects are poisonous. They have the most <laughs> deadly snakes in the world. And every time she was near the water, oh, there's crocodiles in there. So she was just a complete bundle of nerves the entire time she was on the set. There's no way this poor woman enjoyed making this movie. And it, 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 it's just, it, it really is a shame because Olivia Hussey is one of those actresses who, once again... I mean, we we know her from a zil, from a zillion films. Her first film role was in Franco Zeffirelli's uh, Romeo and Juliet, mm-hmm. uh, where she was underage, and they still managed to show her naked breasts. Which yeah, were real in that movie. In this one, it's a body double. Body double. And yeah, this, and in a couple of the interviews that I saw, they both said she should have used her own because that woman's boobs that they used were nowhere near as good as hers. Yeah, nice. <laughs> I would not want people to think those were mine. Well, Miss Miss Hussey is a beautiful. She's she's always been a beautiful woman. She's still a beautiful woman to this day, and she's still working to this yeah. day. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, uh, of course, we also know her from uh, Black Christmas, the mm-hmm. uh, the original oh, film yeah, in seventy four. Right. The uh, she was she was uh, in Death on the Nile in seventy eight. Uh, she was in that uh, the remake of Lost Horizon, which I'll admit, folks, I still have not gotten around to watching because. The remake of Lost Horizon is one of those legendary, uh, so bad it's good films. I know. I, that's one of the movies I've always wanted to see, but I've never quite thought, today's the day. <laughs> yeah. See, that's just it. The original Lost Horizon is absolutely one of my favorite, you know, one of my favorite movies from the period in which it was made. I think it is. It's brilliant. It's well-written, and it's wonderful. And the fact that they uh, seem, to, seem to have uh, so heartily fucked it up in the early 70s with a cast that they, they should have had more respect for makes me want to see it and I'd forgotten that she was in it but you know but for us horror fans Olivia Hussey uh, it's interesting because her favorite horror movie she has stated is is Hitchcock's Psycho mm-hmm. and yes. so she starred in Psycho 4 oh wow that's Mrs. Bates and, and she was really good in that too. and that's the reason she took the role because she loves Psycho she really loved that film that's so, very cool a lot of respect for Olivia Hussey she's a fine actress and uh, let's just say that uh, I think if we could get her to talk about this movie, one of the first things out of her mouth would be, it's not good. And we would all say, we understand from your perspective that <laughs> it is not a good film. But for us, freaks that we are, it kind of is. So Now, old Warden Thatcher and his circle of VIPs arrange a little, uh, a little game. Uh, we have Secretary Mallory. Jennifer, Tito, and Tito's beastly accomplice, Alf. Well, 
Alf is apparently the name, but I swear to you, for years I thought he was saying Alf, as in the fucking creature, the the fucking beast from the from the TV series Alf. <laughs> I honestly thought nice. that they were playing off that, and then I realized this is '82. That show didn't exist at the time, so there's no way that they were like messing with that. And so when you finally see the credit and it's A L P H, it's like, oh, oh, okay, okay. So they couldn't have really been. Kind of nudging everybody with a with another little joke there, but that's I, what I thought for years. I really, I really did. And I, I like to refer to uh, this character as a Teen Wolf's drunk uncle. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that totally made you spit beer. Oh awesome. my god, awesome audio spit take right oh. there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. You wait, I, I just I just wasted a, a good drink of beer there. That's terrible. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's yes. great. What's terrible is that you, you you typed that out to me in a message earlier today, and I still am shocked and amused by it at this point. Well, I, I, I didn't. Know. Th- when I saw Alf, I thought, is that Graham Chapman as Alf? <laughs> <laughs> because he totally looks like Graham Chapman under that. He's actually played by Steve Crusher Rackman, a former professional wrestler. Oh, I did not know oh, that. Oh, very okay. cool. Yeah. Who apparently wrestled alongside Andre the Giant for a while in Australia in the 60s. That explains the body slam later in the movie. Yeah, he's he's totally... And uh, also, of course, uh, Roger Ward, who plays... Um, now forgetting the, the sort of the head guard. I can't remember his name. Yes, yes, yes. He was a professional wrestler as well. Oh, okay. Well, and, I didn't and know he that. steals the show. A lot of his lines are improvised, like the bit where they're doing the gasoline game. And yeah. it's like, is everybody ready? You know, and he's really... Oh, he's having a good time kind and, of emceeing the situation. Yeah, right? and like you can see the, the segment where he roughs up the female prisoner. Yes. He's totally just kicking her, hitting her. And he said the only time he left a mark on her is when he grabbed her shirt. He grabbed it and left a little bruise on her neck. Yeah, because he's but, not intentionally going to hurt her. But otherwise, he's like, yeah. almost like shadow boxing, yeah. trying to intimidate her, but not it connecting at all. Doesn't yeah, hit her. Yeah, but yeah. And then later on, he beats her, basically beats her to death. But he didn't. He never actually hit her at all because he was a former professional wrestler, so he knew how to do that. Yep. He wrestled, um, by the way, in an Australian promotion, which at the time was run by Jim Barnett, who went on to Mid-South Wrestling. My boy. My boy. My boy. Which uh, Mid-South, you know, so many great wrestling stars. Ric Flair came from yeah. there. Dusty Rhodes. Uh, Dick Murdoch, who was, by the way, in an, another film that uh, you may have heard of, Grunt Wrestling Movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, God damn. You know you're just making me hate you that much more, right? That's, that's your, if, that's, if that's your goal, mission accomplished. Well... It's true. Well, back to Roger Ward, the guy who plays the the. Uh, I wanted. I want, I want before we got past Roger Ward. If you see him and think you've seen him before, it's because he was Mad Max's boss in the original Mad Max, which, as he says in interviews, is like the one of the only times he ever played a good guy. Uh, most of the time, because of the way he looked, he oh yeah, played he's a villain. so great looking. He, he really does steal the movie in every scene that he's in. He just mm-hmm. and he looks like he's having so much. Fun. Oh yeah, and he oh, just yeah. radiates charisma. Yeah, you can see that he's having a blast. Yes, exactly. And you can see that Brian Chinchar Smith also loves it. Of course, they worked together several times. But right. like the way the camera shoots him from above, making him look even bigger than he is, or mm-hmm. from below. From below, so that you're looking yeah, up at him. All the time. He just he looks, looks so like a gigantic. Giant. Yeah. There's there's more than two or three shots where uh, he'll uh, st- uh, uh, Roger. Ward will enter the scene and be blocking the sun behind yeah. him so that the sun is kind of haloing him and then when he finishes his line moves out so that the sun then appears and then that's where the edit is It's it's yeah. there's all these things that you do to make an actor look more intimidating and, and Trenchard Smith is doing everything that he can to and, do that and he doesn't need much help to look intimidating he's a scary looking man <laughs> yeah yeah well I mean 
Roger Ward, I, I'd forgotten he turned up in so many different movies. Of course, the Australian movies that you could think of that he was in, like Mad Dog Morgan and Stone. I mean, he was just in oh, a yeah. shitload of movies like that in the 70s. But he was also in uh, the Pirate movie in 1982, that uh, comedic musical version yeah. of, of the Pirates of Penzance. And I'd forgotten <laughs> wow. all about that. I'd totally forgotten about that, too. I know exactly what you're talking wow. about. Wow. And then he was also in uh, Quigley Down Under, which is, I have to admit, a pretty underrated little Australian western with... Uh, Tom Selleck from yeah. 1990. That's a pretty damn good little movie, I have to say. Anytime you get Alan Rickman as your villain, you probably got something going on. Here, yeah. So. yeah. Uh, so it's just one of those things where you look across the scope of uh, Roger Ward's career and it's like, wow, he was in a lot, a lot of movies and a number that you've probably seen. This, this villainous role here, if if I had to if I had to rate the the most memorable, this is the second most memorable. I think he's always memorable from Mad Max because he's got a fair amount of screen time in there, and the and the him the 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 the, the way he plays that role is very effective. He's yeah. so, he's so, and it is so markedly different from what he would normally be doing. He's normally just such an asshole on screen as he is here. He's 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 somebody he's fun to watch. He's he's somebody who I wish I'd I wish I'd seen more of his movies instead of now realizing I'm going to have to backtrack to track mm-hmm. some of them down. So. And I have a copy of Stone. I've just never seen it. Stone is great. I, I love Stone. Stone I'm, is an I've never awesome seen movie. Yeah, yeah I've got that. Uh, believe it or not, I think it's the only film on my shelf I haven't watched. <laughs> <laughs> I, really? I, yeah, I've, I mean, I've seen every other I'm, movie that I own. I'm completely going to call bullshit on that. That's true. I've watched them all. But somehow I haven't watched that one yet. And the soundtrack for Stone is great, too. Really? Really? Yeah. Okay, cool. They, they reissued an LP and a 45 of it a, a while back and highly recommended. Have your own targets, so uh, no poaching. I see you have your excesses as well, my dear. So many shafts and heads. They all have their uses. This one goes in very easily. It's very difficult to tear out. And this black one here? They explode. How about the white one? Let me show you. So we have our group of villains here going to do this quote-unquote turkey shoot. This is the idea. Is that each one of these people, each one of these VIPs, they pick out uh, an individual prisoner that they are then going to hunt. And they're supposedly only, only allowed to hunt down the person they pick out. That's the person they're going to hunt through the jungle yeah. and, and, and hunt down and kill. All of, these, all of these characters are played, to one degree or another, just as, as nasty as they can get away with. Just, you know, they're different flavors of sadomasochistic scumbag. They're different flavors of uh, your standard, typical villain for a film of this type. Yeah. And the uh, the idea, of course, you know, like we said, this is, you know, you start out, you're in a, a near future dystopia. We take, it takes place inside of a prison camp. 
and now we're throwing in the most dangerous game. It's almost as if it, it would be completely impossible for you to not just keep watching this movie. And there's a part of me that wonders, I don't know how frequently this was shown on uh, cable over the years. I just, I, I don't know that I ever caught it that way. I never saw it. But I never it, did. It seems impossible for, for me to imagine someone like coming in 20 minutes into this movie and not knowing what it is and just going, well, I'll just keep watching this. Yeah. I mean, there's, that would seem to be the natural reaction. Just well, what in the hell is happening here? And, because so much begins to happen. And then once you reach about the 35 minute mark, this movie just keeps throwing things at you. It really kicks into high gear halfway through. Yeah. 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 It's like the first half, maybe maybe that's why initially I only watched the first half of it and didn't well, it watch the second yeah. half is because it it's a little miserable at the beginning. You know, I'm not saying it's bad. Oh, thing. no, no. No, yeah. no, but, but no, it's miserable because it's trying to establish the misery exactly. these characters are under. Yeah. And then you kick into high gear, crazy mm-hmm. action and violence. Because once you get through that first little bit, you're really just going 100 miles an hour. And they really do a great job setting up this, you know, Batman's rogues gallery of villains, too. <laughs> yeah, there's that, too. Because you have the one guy who's probably the least interesting of the three who uh, was, I guess, the one from the government who has the gun. Oh, the, 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 big, the big fat guy. The yeah. big fat guy who looks sort of like, if you remember the character oh, Mallory. actor. Mallory. If you remember the guy, the character actor from the 70s and 80s, Richard Paul. Yeah. He always played the Jerry Falwell type yeah. minister. He looks like the Australian Richard Paul. Yeah. And he's the least interesting of the three. So, of course, they send him out into the, the turkey shoot with Roger Ward with him to provide some color. Then you have... Well, not only color, but also I think that they made, they wanted to make sure that he was okay because... He's the re- he's the guy who has the political power within True. the government yeah. to be able to like he's do things boss. for them. Yeah. So, yeah, and then you have the uh, well, you can c- continue, sir. Oh well, no, no, it's just that. <laughs> well, then you have uh, the, the the character Jennifer, who's just this this sadistic woman who uh, also seems to have a high, a sideline in crafting her own weaponry. And uh, she, I thought they were going to focus more on this uh, this weird dart gun that she plays around with there at the beginning, where we see her, you know taking it apart and putting it back together again. But her main weapon that she uses throughout the turkey shoot is a crossbow with various types of uh, crossbow bolts. She seems to really favor the ones that... uh, that uh, explode because it allows her to fuck with people by shooting mm-hmm. near them and, and running them in certain directions. But, I mean, if you had exploding crossbow bolts or arrows, whatever you want to call them, uh, wouldn't you be fucking with people and doing that too? Oh, well, that's well, right. That's why the Duke boys did it every episode. They'd <laughs> blow up an outhouse or something. But um, And, of course, her um, sort of defining characteristic on the hunting edition of the crossbow, she rides a horse. Yes. And I thought one neat... Well, you, you can decide if how neat it is, but one bit of trivia, the uh, inmate who Mallory shoots with his tranquilizer gun, yeah. just somebody randomly shoots her and paralyzes her, she was the stunt double for the girl on the horseback. Okay. So all the okay. riding sequences where it was like a little too much for the actress to do herself, she was the stunt double. I didn't know okay. that. Okay. That makes that, sense. That, it do, well, it does make sense, and it's also kind of funny the um, <laughs> that... She's probably the cruelest of the all of, of all of them. So of course they make the cruelest member of this group of villains the woman. Yeah. Because I mean, let's be honest. Later in the movie, she rapes Linda Stoner's Linda, Linda Stoner's character off screen. Granted, but it's still this harsh thing that you can't get away from. Yeah. There's this underlying like sexual deviance to her that's never fully explained. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They, they they don't delve into it. They just lay it out there, and then there's like I say, they they cut away from whatever nasty thing she's doing to Linda Stoner's character until we see her corpse. Yeah. 
And uh, it's, it's like, well, okay, so nice. I think the most hilarious one is in, in, in the showdown with Chris where she's sticking her tongue out. Or she's like, yes. It's like, what are you doing? Oh, the actress is going for broke in that Oh, yeah. She is having a blast. Now, uh, Tito is the character played by uh, Michael Petra, uh, Petrovich, who's a, who's an actor who we, I've seen in a number of other things as well. That's the Even priest, though, right? No, no, no. Uh, the the guy with the, the the guy with the evil Spock beard. Yeah, the priest. Because well, a lot of them, outfit Well, Thatcher earlier. had that too. I think that was sort of the style of the clothing that yeah, they wore. That was they a, had sort of yeah, priest I, I like. Just, I guess because I saw him in it the most before the hunt, I just always yeah. assumed he was a priest. Yeah, they they had some of them. A, several of them had that sort of looked like that was sort of the futuristic style that they were. Yeah, going yeah, yeah. For. yeah okay, that makes and, more sense. And I wondered, and I never saw anybody ever address this in any interviews or anything like this. But I wondered if that was a choice. You're right. They do. There are times when Thatcher also seems to be. He looks like he's wearing a priest collar yeah. when he's when he's addressing the entire camp. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if that was a, a choice made at the level of costuming to kind of give them that sense of uh, of a certain level of authority. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Yeah, yeah. that makes perfect sense. Yeah. But 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 it but it was. You're, you're right. If you if you'd expected him to actually have been a priest, it would have been a natural thing because those that that collar and the 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 way the way the costuming is done, it does look that way. And just as a creepiness. Yes. Yeah. He seems kind of like a creepy, like molesty kind of guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very slight. And obviously, he, cool. he he picks like the worst and weakest person from the camp to. Yeah, to chase yeah. after. Yeah, yeah, and like like I say, he's he's got the uh, the sp- the mirror mirror Spock beard. Yeah, so you automatically <laughs> know he's just he's beyond evil. He's he's right into insanity. But uh, the only places I'd ever seen him before was uh, he's he's got a role in uh, Tales of Witness Madness, the anthology okay. film from '73. Yeah, but uh, a lot of the stuff he was involved in, I, I did see him in an episode of the New Avengers in '76. But he had a fairly short career. Uh, he was in a couple of uh, TV series that were apparently uh, pretty big things like uh, The Zoo Gang and uh, Poldark. But other than that, I don't know him from anything else. Uh, it turns out that uh, from what little uh, I could discern about him, apparently he was an incredibly talented musician. Mm-hmm. and therefore may have been better known in that field for different things. But uh, while he was in Australia... I'm not, I don't know if it was shooting this because he did a lot in Australia. He developed skin cancer, and uh, the tr- he had to have multiple series of treatments for this oh, over wow. time. And there's some indicator that that may have been what eventually caused his death. Oh man! Oh poor That's guy! Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. awful. So, uh, but but yeah, it's the uh, horrible enough. I mean, he's he's entertaining as hell in this movie. Yeah, yes. And uh, I I got to say the scene where he. Uh, Rather, uh, rather detachedly and with an evil grin on his face, informs the demon, the demon critter Alf, that he needs to rip with this guy's toe off. No, no, uh, the look on the his face. One. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, little the little one. That whole scene is like if you hired him for nothing else, you hired him to do that scene yep. that way because it's perfect. And that dune buggy he's in. Yeah, oh, I, I want that dune buggy. That's great. <laughs> that, that thing. I mean, that that just that that screams Australia. In the late seventies, early eighties. I mean, that's exactly the kind of thing that it just seems like was in all of those in all those films. And it's like, hmm, does that look futuristic? It's close. It's well. In fact, they had no money for futuristic vehicles, yeah. so they just rented a bunch of farm equipment. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, makes sense. And that was one reason they ripped his toe off. It's like, well, if we rip his toe off, he can't run very fast, so he probably can't get away from this <laughs> this vehicle slow moving that moves thing one mile an hour with a bulldozer blade on the front of it. Yeah. <laughs> 
We'll really have to get into that uh, that that death scene. Oh yes, we will. Oh man, that thing is it's so hilarious. Okay, so once the the once the deadly twelve hour hunt uh, kicks into gear, uh, what we've already mentioned the fact that we we have uh, each of them uh, each of our main characters here being picked out by one of the villains as their uh, their target of choice. But we also have another character, a fourth character who. Uh, uh, has has got uh, escape on his mind. Who Thatcher also sends out as well as kind of a, a an extra for him. I do love the fact that Thatcher chooses uh, Steve Railsback's character Paul Anders as his target of opportunity, his 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 target for this entire hunt. Because I think uh, as a political dissident, as someone who's kind of trying to be a, a big swinging asshole revolutionary dick to this asshole warden, mm-hmm. that's the natural choice. And I think that that whole, you know, the whole movie kind of builds around the idea of this, uh, something the movie ends up not giving you in a very smart way, because in, in a, in a, typically in a movie like this, what you're going to end up with is Railsback's character and the warden character in a mano a mano fight at the end. And this movie just just submarines the shit out of that at the end with a <laughs> really does. great action scene. Oh yeah, it uh, which which honestly the, the if the movie had sucked up till then that sequence alone would have made me oh, go yeah, those that one they second, are doing something right that'd be enough. And Steve Railsback is one of those uh, Railsback is one of those actors who always seems slightly unhinged no matter what he's yes. doing. <laughs> he kind of reminds me of like Mil, Bill Mosley in that no matter what he does you think this guy's really kind of crazy. I think. <laughs> well, see, and, and, and that can be sometimes that can be a little bit of a problem and I, the, the example I was going to give a couple of weeks ago about that was going to be where he, he plays a uh, uh, secret service agent in uh, in the line of fire with Clint Eastwood where he still see, I mean, he seems less like somebody who could just become crazy and turn around and like blow the president's head off even though he's not he's not a villain in the movie but now I just the other night watched a movie with that he has a small role in where it, it's it's similar but but more interesting. Uh, have you ever seen the movie The Wind from 1986? Uh, is, is that, that the Meg Foster? Yeah, Greek, yeah, Greek, I have it. Greek, yeah. Greek movie. Very interesting movie. Meg Foster, uh, Wingshauser, Steve Rails back. So automatically, no, you need to see it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so, well, uh, not to give anything away if you've not seen the movie, but. Railsback is quite good in the movie. Yeah. Actually, uh, there are times when I think that Railsback needed another take or two in almost every movie I've ever seen him in. But in The Wind, he's ac- he's actually very, very good. And Wings Hauser is playing the crazy fucker, <laughs> and Steve Railsback is playing a really normal, nice guy. And there comes there when he when he appears in the movie, I'm kind of like, are we going to have two crazy fuckers in this movie because they hired Steve Railsback? But he plays a normal guy. And it's a bit of a shock. Well, you know, watching this movie, there's bits where Steve Railsback is doing his sort of like, well, they society, you know, you don't want to have to fit into society. They want to break me. I think, is this the script from Helter Skelter? Is he just <laughs> using yeah, the exactly. same dialogue? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, the, the, there is that. I mean, this is the guy who got, you know, got major, major prominence playing Charlie Manson on, on, on mm. a massive television movie. So, yeah. The one thing I have to say about Railsback is uh, you definitely know he knows how to run. Yeah, oh, yeah. He runs yeah. like he's running competitions before. Yeah. He he runs like someone's honestly actually firing guns at yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> he really does. Yeah. Why are you here? Because you are going to listen and answer my questions. You already know my answers. Hmm. You should trust me. I could set you free. But you won't. 
It's a possibility. You can kill me. That is another one. But you'd rather see me crawl. That's who I am. Who are you? I'm the one you can't break. I'm what you've been afraid of all your life. I'm afraid of nothing. You're afraid of failing. I'm not gonna play your games. Oh, yes, you are. You are. Well, at first, the uh, the prisoners are told they're going to have a three-hour start, which makes uh, Anders, the Railsback character, feel like oh, they probably got a pretty good idea here. But, of course, as you would expect, that's not completely true because they're not going to just let all of the uh, the uh, soon-to-be-dead victims out into the wilderness all at the same time and then show up three hours later. They're doing it in staggered half-hour increments. So the first one, they, 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 they first let uh, Olivia, the Olivia Hussey character go off first, and then they send her killer after her 30 minutes later uh, at the same time they release the next one and so on and so forth. So automatically, they're kind of screwing them to begin with, which is something you should have expected. You're not going to get you're not going to get a, a good a good deal out of, uh, by the way, we're going to hunt you and murder you. It's just not the way it's done. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the movie was already putting it up to you know Chris and Paul being a couple, and he's like, yeah. we have to stick together because she was the one that was scared. She's actually the one that wanted to do this while he was the one that did not want to do this, but did it because he did not want her to do it alone. Correct. Yeah. Well, uh, Dodge is the first to be caught. And, uh, well, the character chosen by uh, the, by uh, our, our evil spot beard <laughs> character is the one who's caught first. And he's the one who's got his beast critter with him. Now, the the beast critter we've already talked about. He's played by a, a wrestler. Graham Chapman. <laughs> the guy who looks like a wrestling Graham Chapman. Steve Crusher Rackman. <laughs> Steve Steve Crusher. A wrestler, a wrestler named Crusher. I'm not surprised. Yeah. With a middle name like Crusher, it's kind of like you're prepping oh, you're this doomed. kid to yeah, be Yeah, you're doomed. Kid. You're going to be a wrestler. It's like, how could Otto Octavius not become Dr. Octopus, really? <laughs> <laughs> so, somehow or another, five you know, you know, multiple limbs were just going to appear. It was yeah. there's no way around it. So you I'm name sorry. a kid Otto Octavius. It's that's the only career he's got ahead of him. Is or wait a minute, could it be that they wanted a character? Do you think they created it in the other direction? Nah. Oh, okay. You're right. You're, right. you're probably right. Anyway, yeah, well, one one thing about Teen Wolf's uncle here. Teen Wolf's uncle. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't have a beer in my mouth that time. <laughs> I was watching. He, he looks like he would smell of uh, bo and Heaven Hill. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He just he just looks like your drunk uncle. He looks very happy though. He's always got a smile and he's always like having a good time. <laughs> well, strangely enough, you've now broke the subject that I was I was toying with with interjecting into this podcast or not but it's an idea that <clears throat> it's a weird idea i've always felt that this movie if you were there watching this you know you watching this thing be shot watching this movie be made it, it, I, I always thought that this would smell like dried sweat and really cheap booze <laughs> <laughs> just the entire movie yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. this this is exactly that I mean, i'm sorry but that's just the, the look the, the the look of everything the way it is uh, there, there's, there, there's just um, 
But if you were ever, if you were near like the the main villains as they were on the hunt, maybe they smelled like a perfume perfume and cologne that you wouldn't want to be around very long. It's just there's a there's a part of me that almost wants to define a lot of different movies, especially exploitation movies, by the smells that they would probably involve. If you were if you if if smell of vision was a thing they pumped into the theater while they were playing this fucking movie, it would be dried sweat. Uh, a slight ocean breeze during sections of it, the stench of a decaying jungle, and uh, just abject fear coalesced around the fact that we're almost out of the cheap booze. You know, that's yeah. everybody's just they're 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 having the whiskey sweats, and they're not really sure if they really want to be here anymore. And it just smells bad. It's uh, it's that it's like that old grandpa smell bottled up and just released into the it's wild. Like, uh, so, Rod, how would you describe this movie? Well, it looks like it would smell like pee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, more along the lines of it would smell like uh, underwear you've not been able to change in a month. You know? <laughs> Touche. So, when our our little uh, bespeckled uh, loser character named Dodge is first caught. So Alf is instructed, our beast critter, or Teen Wolf's drunken Dragon uncle, is, is informed that uh, he, he just rips open the, the shoe of this, of this prisoner. And instead of just going ahead and killing this guy, they decide to, to make it more interesting. So he has um, Alf rip off the little toe, one of the, one of the little toes of this guy, just to slow him down. And then uh, instead of just tearing it off and, and that being the end of this particular sadistic moment in the movie... He eats it. He eats the toe. Now it's a giant pinky toe too, by the way. <laughs> it's a little too large. At any rate, this this is the moment where if you're in the right frame of mind, this movie just kicks itself into a new, more enjoyable gear. Because well, especially the way that um, that the the uh, villains like when he says, "No, I'll, the little one," and he holds his pinky up and kind of wiggles, wiggles it. it. Yes, yes, that's <laughs> classic. <laughs> Fucking perfect. One of the one of the best <laughs> moments, just little character moments in the movie is that right there. So we've got this guy limping around now, which is which is pretty great. Well, they do eventually end up chasing him down and beating him to death, which, you know, this is the way things were going to go anyway. And he's one of the characters you don't really feel sorry to see go because he was just kind of a... Weasley fuck. Yeah, yeah. He was like the one you weren't... You never rooted for him no, to make no, it. No, no, no. Uh, well, Thatcher toys with uh, the Steve Railsback character by firing near misses with a sniper rifle, sniper rifle at him, forcing him to scale a difficult rock formation and preventing his scramble to uh, find Chris. Now, this is kind of fascinating because this is this is beautiful because this is a moment in the film where clearly Thatcher could just go ahead and kill him, but he even kind of says to himself out loud, he's like. No, he doesn't. Want, he doesn't want to do it right. It's too easy. It's too easy. I want. I want to. I want to mess with this guy. Yeah. And this is where you get a sense of how really sadistic the guy is yeah. because he could end this now, but he doesn't. He goes out of his way to fire bullet after bullet close enough to him to force him to go in certain directions. And. I have to say, apparently, Steve Railsback did not enjoy shooting these sequences because they were shooting they were shooting ball bearings at the rock facing to get this effect. And oh, I would have that to would say, not be good. Yeah, that would that, that would be something where it's just like, ah, it's a little too dangerous as far as I'm concerned. But mm, they they did it anyway because that's you know we're making a movie here. And as an aside, that I 
there's not another good place to, to pop this little factoid in, mm, but mm. one of the interviews that I watched with Steve Railsback, he was complaining about how this wasn't the movie he showed up to make, and yeah. and the budget had been slashed, and he says, no, I'm not, I don't know where all this money went, but there are a lot of racetracks in Australia, and the producers are down there a lot. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not saying. And then I think the special effects guy was talking about how with the money that was slashed, the producers actually hit the racetracks trying to win money for the budget. So <laughs> oh there may God. have been some truth to somebody was at the racetrack. <laughs> well, one of the things I like about this chase where we have Thatcher toying with uh, with the Railsback character is that uh, Paul, I mean, th- th- this is this is pretty effective where Paul manages to kind of redirect Thatcher's pursuit by causing a rock slide. And that's actually really a well-done sequence. That's one of those moments where you... Not that there aren't a number of them throughout the course of the picture, but there's a number of times when, and this is a good one, where you feel like, oh, this is this is exactly how they wanted to shoot this because it works really effectively. They really do a rock slide down this this cliff this cliff face, and everything is staged in such a way that it's actually really effective and believable. And it's the the kind of thing where I don't know how many variations you guys have seen on the most dangerous game, but I know I've probably seen. 50 to 60 different mm-hmm. film versions of the most dangerous game, whether they're called by that title or not. I mean, what? You know, surviving the game or... I mean, like, I don't know how many versions of the most dangerous game there are out there. There are, there are entire books written on just enumerating the various versions of that story as they've yeah. been filmed. Well, what do you think is the definitive one? The first one? or I got to say, the 30s version is pretty awesome because the 30s version... Is a pre-code film, so they were able to they were able to be violent and they were able to be sadistic, and uh, the actors who's playing uh, the uh, the hunter, he's one of those he's one of those great actors. He, the, the actor had had uh, some kind of stroke, and so the, his face he was he had an aristocratic bearing, but um, uh, half of his face wasn't uh, as mobile as the rest of his face, mm-hmm. and so he had this really sinister look just naturally, and he was a good actor. And so that early 30s version's pretty fucking awesome. But there are a lot of great versions of the most va- most dangerous game that are out there. So. I think I think maybe my favorite one is the uh, episode of Gilligan's Island where Jonathan <laughs> where Jonathan Kincaid, played by Rory Calhoun, comes to the island and is gonna yes. hunt Gilligan. And he's got Gilligan in the sights, and you think, oh my gosh, I mean you're on the edge of your seat that Gilligan's about to get his head blown off. Oh, of course. and then the timer goes off, and then he's like, Well, a deal's a deal. I can't kill you. Can't Gilligan. kill him now. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't remember. I remember this that. Time. I do remember the episode. I remember it well. Not in my top ten of most dangerous game stories, but yes. You need to reassess that list, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus God. At any rate. I don't remember this episode at all. <laughs> oh, God. It's unforgettable once you've seen it, but yes. Which, by the way, by not the way. long ago, I realized I had no idea this was the case. But one of the most incredible hours of television history ever on CBS, the premiere of A Charlie Brown Christmas. Yeah. Followed by the premiere of the episode of Gilligan's Island when mosquitoes land on the island. <laughs> And the girl sing You Need Me as the honeybees. Imagine being a kid in 1966 or whenever that was on, 65, and watching that and thinking, 
I am watching television history right now. Well, I mean, the rest of your life is all downhill. It really <laughs> would be. But that's true. That was an hour of television. Man, two, that's two events that shaped my life. <laughs> you know, that explains a lot. <laughs> it really does. It does, yes. <sighs> well, at any rate... <laughs> you psycho... Uh, we have this great sequence here where Griff, the, the, the guy who was added to the group, the, the, the guy who's planning to escape and has now been sent out here to be executed by Thatcher, he manages to jump one of the guys and to get and to take his assault rifle. Uh, this this places him in a trap that later that, that places him in a trap that later kills him. This this is the guy. He he's one of the the uh, the camp guards who's out there supposedly Red. to. Yeah, What's his name Red. Red. Yeah, the guy he, looks like Cheech Marin. Yeah, exactly. Apparently, the guy was an American too. Yeah, and made a big deal out of celebrating the Fourth of July while while they were shooting. <laughs> really kind of irritated the rest of the cast, but nevertheless. They they made they managed to uh, uh, he manages to get his gun gun away from him and places him in a trap that we that we see pay off later on where he's he's kind of he's kind of squished by a log with spikes on it which is all kinds of fun oh yeah if you can squish somebody with spikes on a log I'm I'm pretty much gonna give your movie a thumbs up already so I, I love I love it when a Ritter finds him and he calls him a pecker yeah <laughs> you pecker <laughs> Man, uh, Roger, Roger Ward's delivery of insults in this movie is amazing. I mean, he is it's just, so good. He's so good at that stuff. Well, now that he has this rifle, uh, Griff tries to mount a, a counterattack, but he's pinned down by Jennifer and, and Thatcher, uh, incapacitated with, uh, with the crossbow bolts before being run over and killed by, by Thatcher. And that whole action scene is a blast because you actually do start to think, and it had been so long since I watched this movie, when I rewatched it, I had forgotten how this was going to play out. I started to think, oh, Griff, he's got a, he's got a, he's got a weapon now, and he's got at least two magazines of, 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 of uh, bullets. This guy is going to, he's going to do some fucking damage. And uh, he's able to make some threats, but it doesn't, it doesn't pay off for him at all. And that moment where he's run over by, run over by the vehicle is just, is, it's top notch. That's that's what I go to the movies for, man. Mm-hmm. It's just... Death by Tonka truck. Yeah, and of the Death three hunters, Tonka, yes, Jennifer is probably actually the deadliest of the three. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, she seemed. I mean, her aim with the crossbow—you can see that she's totally toying with him. It's just like each shoulder and yeah. a leg, and you know, she's not missing him. She's hitting exactly where she wants to. Well, it's that old joke we used to make about um, watching watching RoboCop. Is like in RoboCop, the villain could just shoot these assholes in the head, but no, he's like, let me pop you in each knee. Mm-hmm. Watch you squirm around and scream in pain, and then and let me shoot you at each arm. And now that I'm tired of listening to you yell, I'll kill you. It's just why not go ahead and make you suffer for a good long period of time? Well, it just shows you how much of a true asshole he really is. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, now just as a, a quick aside, talking about different variations of uh, the most dangerous game, I have to admit uh, it, it was a rather controversial film for no good purpose whatsoever. But have either of y'all been able to see the recent movie, The Hunt? Yes. I have, yeah. It's another variation on the most dangerous game, and i got to tell you guys, it's a fucking blast. I liked it a lot. I thought it was good. It's really amazing because, I mean, first of all, they didn't shy away from being R-rated. Nope. They didn't shy away from just ripping everybody left and right. And it's got more than a few surprises up its sleeve mm-hmm. that are completely impossible to see from the jump street. Yeah. And I was really impressed with this one. And I'm a big fan of the lead, too, whose name I wasn't... She's great. She played uh, Liberty Bell and Glow... 
the yeah. Netflix series, and she was also in Deck or not Dexter, Nurse Jackie. She played the hot nurse who okay. came in in later seasons, and she's fantastic. And if any of the listeners and you guys haven't watched Glow on Netflix... I know it's one I need to see. I and, know. of course, you hear us a show about women wrestlers. Oh, I don't want to watch that. No, No, I, I hear lots it's of things It's a great show. It's yeah. really good. And the wife really likes it. I, I have not uh, watched it. It's, I've watched, like, pieces here and there, but that's about it. It's a really good show. I love that you refer to her as the wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like we're in the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't wife, know where I got that from. I the just wife's a fan, but as the husband, I... <laughs> yeah, well, you've heard me talk about Laura many times as the old ball and chain. Well, I mean, that's, that's different. I mean, you know, you're being serious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, that's totally true. That's totally the facts. Oh, Lord. Okay, I, still, any woman who can live with you is either either a masochist or, you know, has clearly done something in a past life that deserves rectifying. Oh, trust me. I totally get that. I know my dad, before we got married, said, she seems perfect, son, but I know there's something wrong with her because she likes you. (laughs) (laughs) There's clearly something wrong with her. She's with you. Okay. The same could be said about... uh, Well, about all three of us. Yeah, yeah. We've all all done okay. We've definitely traded beyond our... We've covered. Yeah. We've gone beyond yeah. our coverage as yeah. far as I'm yeah. punching above my weight for sure. As far as women go, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. Well. Uh, well, Jennifer at this point proceeds to stalk Rita on horseback and trapping her before raping and killing her. And like I say, they do shy away. We don't see whatever it is. We just see that the whole thing where Jennifer would, is holding a crossbow bolt and and rubbing it across uh, the chest of Rita. And say, I'm going to make you feel a way, you know, ways that you've never felt before. And it's just and, one of those. And then she does a Gene Simmons impression. I know, sticking her tongue out. And it's just like, oh, how far is this movie going to go? And it's like, well, luckily they cut away from whatever the hell they were thinking about doing there. So that was really the best part about the Rita chase scenes because she's not really that likable of a character. And the chase scenes to me with her were. The well, they're worst not as di- they're not as dynamic as the rest of the as the other chase sequences. This mm-hmm. is this is very true. So I guess it's that you know the, what what makes those what makes that chase pay off is that the villain Jennifer is yeah. so freaking you know over the top. She is so clearly a, a nasty critter. So out of the four, she's definitely the most sadistic and probably. One that has a lot more depth that yeah. I think should have been explored a little bit more, my opinion. I, I can yeah. see that, yeah. Yeah, not not complaining about the movie because, like I said before, it's, it's, fun. A, it's a fun-ass movie. But that's a character, there's like a lot of things being hinted at. I, I would have liked to know a little bit more about her. Well, just imagine a movie with her versus Griff. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, another character. Well, that's interesting, yeah. 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 You know, if there had been a way to... And again, we're not putting this movie down because I love this movie, but yeah. you think that would have been a great movie too, you know? Yeah. You have him who's so resourceful and True. let him have more time to be resourceful. Because, yeah, she has a lot going on. Yeah, True. definitely. We get back to uh, the Tito character. That would be the, the guy with the evil spot beard. And he's he's the one with the the the, the, the little buggy with the with the the tractor shovel on the front of it. He tries to uh, he he runs across um, the Railsback character. And he attempts to uh, kind of cut him in half with that tractor shovel attached to the front of the buggy. And Paul manages to get out of the way. And Tito inadvertently <laughs> bisects Alf up against a tree. And this is I, I've already talked about this just glancingly, but the moment where we see. Poor old beast critter Alf 
cut in half by the bulldozer front. The, the scene is is a pure joy on multiple levels. One, <laughs> one, we see the reaction of Alf as he's pinned against the tree and clearly killed. Simultaneously, we look at Tito's reaction as he has just cut his, you know, his his prized Teen Wolf into 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 two pieces. <laughs> And it, this this look of oh my god, and he's like holding his head in his hands, like oh what have I done? And he goes oh shit. <laughs> and then we see in what is without a doubt the single greatest shot in the entire movie, the bottom half of Alf fall away from the the, the buggy blade onto the ground and be the wrong size and look like it's look like exactly what it is, which is a shitload of beef crammed into a pair of pants. <laughs> So one thing you neglected to mention is with the way the switcheroo happens yeah. with uh, with Alf getting stabbed in the eye and oh, yeah. switched which, out with which, Paul. Which is a great sequence. That whole fight sequence. There is enough cool. time oh. <laughs> where Tito yells, get out of the way. And there's plenty of space where he could have, one, hit the brakes, two, Veered swerved away. Yeah. out yeah. of the way. Nope. Straight, straight up. You had right almost in. enough time to plant an acorn and another tree to grow. <laughs> <laughs> but he just oh kept God. on a trucking. I mean, both, both characters by the tree could have smoked a whole cigarette. <laughs> yeah. Still coming. You know, yeah. Eventually, if he doesn't slow down, that's going to be trouble for one of us. Yeah. That's, that might hurt, but uh, we're good. <laughs> But tell me, is there any better scene in the entire movie other than possibly uh, Griff being run over by the buggy? Well, there's one more coming. There, there's actually two more coming. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. Well, but this um, is a pretty we great don't, We scene. don't want to give it away because we're not there yet. But I and those those two scenes are pretty okay, fucking okay. spectacular. Yeah. Well, uh, we we now see Mallory, the uh, the uh, the the government higher up, and uh, his guide, who's the Roger Ward character, Chief Guard Ritter, uh, track Chris through dense jungle into a sugarcane field. Ritter attempts to smoke her out by setting the field aflame when Mallory stumbles into Chris. Before he can rape her, because, of course, you know, he's going to rape her. Uh, yeah, Paul, ju- Paul jumps him. That's the Railsback character. Gets his gun, shooting him in the groin. No, he shoots him in the dick. Eh, groin, dick, you know, six of one, half a dozen of another. Possibly. Sure it was six? At least you hope it's six. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, come on. If you, you, you always want to say... Shoot him in the dick. Shoot him in the yeah. shoot him in the groin. Shoot him in the he shot him in the dick. <laughs> you know what? You have effectively made your case. You're correct. <laughs> Shooting him in the dick, escaping with Chris as he burns to death. So you gotta you, you gotta like this. Now we're getting into the we're getting into the meat of things as people the, are starting to get picked off on both sides of this. And the sequence where they burned the cane field, I think, is absolutely incredible because they really burned a cane field. I know. And there's they that found, part of me that wonders, were they supposed to do yes, that? Yes, they were. They, every three months in Australia, and I sound like such an expert on Australian <laughs> agriculture. I'm not. But apparently every three months they burn these things off, so they found a farmer whose field was up to be burned off, so they just said, well, we'll, we'll do it. And they said, and normally they have, like, water and trucks and everything to keep... They didn't have any of that. But <laughs> They just set fire to the course not. Roll fire. camera, goddammit. But they got what they wanted, which, of course, it looks spectacular because it's this giant fire, and the shots, especially where Roger Ward, Ward is running alongside yeah, the yeah, blaze, yeah. chasing... Our, our other and the fire is out of control at that it's point. It's great. amazing. Yeah. It looks really great. And... Uh, in the commentary, Brian Trenchard-Smith talks about that shot that said, you know, when this thing's on fire, 
you know, we didn't have a lot of time. You know, no, you got to get it in the we'd canvas. Get in there yeah. said, so, said, so we're, we're running around like blue ox flies. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, the only thing that was missing from that whole uh, scene was a cosmic psycho song. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the, the so Paul and Chris, that would be uh, Steve Railsback and Olivia Hussey, they run to what they think is the edge of the wilderness, only to realize upon reaching the coastline that what they're on is an actual island. They're not. They're not some place. There's not some place for them to go. They're trapped. Yeah. The whole reason for the hunt is if they made it through, they were going to be released. They're going back to society. They have their yep. own IDs. You have till what dusk? Yeah, I believe it was. Yeah, and they're like, there never was an exit. We're trapped on this fucking island. Yeah, they lied to us. They, they, they we were never. There was no way to, for us to win this thing. So, which is the same thing that happened to Gilligan. <laughs> <laughs> only the only, only the, the the clock went off. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Ritter, that's the Roger Stone character, catches up to them, and uh, Ritter and uh, well, the Roger Ward and Steve Railsback, their characters then have this. Knocked down, drag out, punch fest, beating the living shit out of each other with anything they can get their. I mean, this is a this is this is a fight until we get to the point where Olivia Hussey picks up the dropped machete that Ritter walked into the scene with and comes after him and manages to chop Roger Ward's character, Ritter's character, uh, chop his hands off. Uh, and, I, and I love the fake hand that's still trying to pull the trigger on the trigger. trigger. Yeah, that's great. And if it actually like pulled a couple of yeah. rounds off, oh, that, that would have been, been better. <laughs> yeah. That would have been great. That would have been amazing. That and, was a great fight scene. I just want to say that. And, yes, uh, it really is. The one cool thing about it is you would just expect it to be a one-sided fight. Paul's holding his own. Yeah, I mean, he's, time. He, is getting, he is getting, he's taking a lot of damage, but he's also able to inflict some pain himself. And it's like, Especially once they get into that water, where they're both oh, kind of yeah. having to having to trudge through the sandy water, yeah. and it's clear it's kind of giving them both a bit of a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. It's it's clear that up until the point where Roger Ward picks him up and slams him down into the water, that Railsback's character is smart enough to use that to his advantage to be able to get in an extra couple of punches. Yeah, and it's it's like oh man, it's it's well it's well staged. It's the kind of thing where uh, once you learn that that whole section was. Directed by David Hemming, it's like Hemming uh, as a as a producer. I mean, of course, we all know him from being the actor who was in Barbarella, Deep Red, yeah. and a bazillion other movies. Uh, Blow Up, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, of course, uh, the Antonioni film. But at the same time, there's that part of you that goes, "Yeah, well, that's right." David Hemming was a competent director, and he had with him there at least one guy, Roger Ward, who was a professional wrestler, wrestler and therefore had the ability to. Confidently and and, and and what you know, stage a fight sequence effectively. So clearly, that combination of individuals there worked out effectively, and it looks great. It's a great little segment. And here's the thing: if you didn't really pay attention and know that the second unit photography stuff was done without Brian Trenchard Smith, you wouldn't know the difference between. No, you wouldn't. No. It, it, it flows seamlessly. It, co- it all thing, comes together well. One thing that was really interesting is that. In the various interviews and commentaries, in the commentary track, Brian Trenchard Smith talks about directing that sequence, and even talks about the bit where Roger or um, um, Roger Ward holds up his stumps and he says, I, w- "I wish I hadn't put that shot in. It just doesn't look right. You know, it looks like you've got his hands up his sleeves." And yeah. he talks about in great detail about directing that sequence. Mm. Well, I was wondering- two other people 
talk about how David Hemmings directed that sequence. Well, I'm, see, the, the thing is, I know what you're talking about, but there's a part of me that wonders if what Ron Trichard Smith is, Smith is talking about is the choices in the editing. And that could be. It could be yeah. just the way that... that and, he, and he's right, because there's... You know, there's a way. There would have been a way to edit around that so that there's that one shot where it's like it's obvious that the sleeves mm-hmm. are longer than they need to be so that they cover up his. And it could hands. be. Yeah, I know two different people talk about David Hemmings directing that. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I tend to go with. Of course, it's been a lot of years since the movie too, so it yeah. could be just the wording of it. But that was one of the few places where, yeah. well, who really directed this bit? Well, like I say, I, it could easily be talking about the editing because it's be. it's it's in it's in the editing bay where you're trying to make those final choices of you know how does this work most effectively? How am I going to put this together so that we get across everything we need to and it doesn't look terrible? So you know, unfortunately, with the budget being slashed, I mean, there's there's things you're going to see that you wouldn't probably have seen if they'd had a little bit more money True. like yeah. that yeah. or. Or when the guy's getting run over by the Tonka truck. I mean, you can tell he's obviously buried in the ground and they're just... Right, <laughs> yeah, you don't see they're his just driving beside him. Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't really kill the effectiveness of it. But if they'd, nope. if they'd taken the sleeve uh, part out, I, th- I think it still would have been an effective scene. You don't really have to see that. Cause yeah. Seeing the hands the hands being cut off and then the hands moving is effective That's enough, enough. For me. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that one thing that I really like about that sequence, though, is afterwards, Olivia Hussey looks at this and realizes she's just chopped a guy's hands off with a machete. Yeah. Well, she she freaks out. Yeah. yeah. And that was like a really nice human moment in a film uh-huh. that really doesn't have any. Yeah. And it yeah. was like, that's how this woman would react. Like, oh my gosh, I just well, killed a guy. And without know? that scene, it wouldn't have, it, the rest of the movie wouldn't have felt right because she has to have that moment where, because she's been under stress. There's been so many shots in the movie when she's being chased where she's like, Hiding behind a tree, and the look on her face is of a woman who's terrified. You know, who's terrified. Well, because yeah. there's insects and snakes. Exactly, <laughs> which means it worked for the film as well yeah. as being the way she probably felt as well. But by having her have that freak out, then and then Railsback's character kind of talking to her and bringing her back, when she turns into that person who's standing on that buggy, <laughs> wielding a goddamn machine gun, it's like she's decided she she's passed through. <laughs> Whatever happens now. Whatever it mm-hmm. doesn't matter anymore. She is going to do just whatever in the hell, and that's the scene. If you didn't have that character, it, it, you can see the actors if they had to fighting for that scene because without that, then you don't have this woman who's been so timid and fearful suddenly wielding a machine gun. True, yeah. you don't have it. It doesn't work, and so you know it's, it may sound funny to talk about that in a film like this, but that's it's exactly how the actors making the movie would would go about it. It's like we've got to have this in here, and it's probably on the page as well. Look, we have to have the moment where the character who has been so frightful, so frightened the entire time, has that twist and just passes through. It's like okay, yeah. deal with it. And the moment is when she picks up that machete and saves the saves Railsback's life and chops the arms yeah. off. So. It's cool. It's 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 actually weird to, to have a moment like a moment like that in this movie, but it works, and it's uh, it's kind of weird to be able to talk about something like that. Mm. Now this is where we get into the end. I would like. How do you feel about the way this wraps up this this whole riot and 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 fight at the back at the prison camp? Because I really enjoyed the fuck out of it. Oh yeah, it's it's. it's spectacular it's it's a lot of fun I mean, it's totally ridiculous that every yeah. inmate suddenly knows how to use all this it weaponry. is I was about to say but the same thing granted, 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 granted it's exactly what you want it, well okay so the two of them uh, we have the Railsback character and the Olivia Hussey character decide okay fine and they now have the buggy which has the mounted uh, mounted machine gun on it 
So they decide because they killed Tito. Because they killed Tito, so they fuck it. We're going. They go. They storm the camp and decide to free the other prisoners. And Olivia Hussey really does never looks comfortable with that gun. In her <laughs> no, head. she doesn't. No, she looks determined, but she doesn't look comfortable. No. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I completely agree with you. Well, th- this uprising leads to the uh, the uh, the government to scramble a bomber to destroy the camp and to quash the re- to quash this little revolt. So while the prisoners raid the armory for guns, fending off the guards, with with Chris destroying the communications center, on, you know, on her own, uh, she also manages to. Uh, this is where we have Jennifer, the uh, the sadistic female character, character get killed with one of her own explosive arrows. That's a, that's that's an effective scene yeah, too. She she uh, struggles with Chris and gets stabbed in the head with her arrow, and then her head spectacularly blows up. Lot of great head explosions in yeah. this final act. I'm yeah. a real fan yeah. of the exploding head. Uh, you know, just like the the fellows on Farm Film Report for those who Woo! remember SCTV. <laughs> exactly, he blew up real good. <laughs> I'll be honest. This would be this, along with Scanners, would be one of the movies that I think Farm Film Report would have would have given a full ten rating to. This is this is truly exactly what we're aiming for. How many heads exploded? Well, it's a good movie. It's a good one. She was in there with them Harris, and she blew it up good. She blew up real good. Well, Thatcher attempts to lead a counterattack with uh, with the guards that are still alive, but then in truly a spectacular sequence. Is just blown away by machine gun fire as as uh, on the edge of the camp. And dudes, I got to tell you, there's a lot of mo- there's a lot of shots in this movie that uh, that you might be tempted to back up and watch again. Some of them involving the nudity and the uh, shower scene, but that's the one that I probably backed up and rewatched the most, which is when the the dummy version of Thatcher just gets mauled by machine gun fire. Yeah, this is better than the pants full of meat from earlier. I know oh, this is yeah, one yeah, of the yeah, ones yeah. you were yeah. talking about. It's not what you normally see in these kind of movies because you usually expect like a big buildup. No, he's just back all of a sudden. He's just getting blown the fuck up. <laughs> like I say, normally <laughs> what, what you would meat. expect, <laughs> yeah, chunks of meat, exactly. What you would expect it is some kind of mano a mano fight between the Railsback character and the Thatcher character by Railsback and uh, the, 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 the uh, Warden character. That's not what you get. What you get, you've already had that. You had that with the Roger Ward character out on the sandy beach where you had the, the knockdown mano a mano fight there. So clearly that's not what you're going to get with the Warden. What you get is him getting machine gunned down like a dog. And uh, to be honest, it works. It, it, it not only works within the context of check that shit out it also works within the way they've structured everything because we've already had the mano a mano fight yeah. now let's have something different but I have to admit every time I watch this I keep thinking oh yeah we're going to have the mano a mano fight here and we do not know we just get him blowing up real good and Brian Trencher Smith said of course this sequence was edited out of the prints of this originally oh really yeah but he um, managed to sneak it in in the movie Dead End Drive-In. He put this that sequence on one of the drive-in <laughs> screens, so he got it in there, and nobody batted an eye at it. <laughs> you gotta like that. Um, well, okay. So, so by the, by this time, uh, the the prisoners flee into the jungle just as the camp is destroyed by a napalm airstrike. Uh, armed with supplies, the the now rebels escape into into the jungle, led by uh, Paul and Chris. And make their way into the mountains. So we have what would look to be the beginning of a kind of rebel faction fighting against this uh, dystopian government. Yeah, that H.G. Uh, Wells quote at the end too: "Revolution begins with the misfits," and uh, which gives then, Glenn Danzig a lot of credit. Really. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But 
I guess. <laughs> well, uh, the, the, I think obviously we all enjoyed this film, but there are a few things I wanted to touch on, which is that clearly the reason why a lot of these actors signed on to do this movie is that they thought it was going to be uh, a higher-minded picture than it eventually turned out to be. Now, whether they were smart to think that is one that's that's an argument we can put to the side and just kind of leave behind. Well, uh, Trencher Smith said it was supposed to be a satire, but you you, right. you only get a little bit of that, not as yeah. much as you should if he really wanted to be a satire. Well, and here's the thing: the way the way the shot, the way the movie had to be filmed, no matter what, regardless of how much money they did they had or not or or didn't have, it was always going to be a question of just how fine the line was going to be between the charactered nature of the villain or the villainy that was on display and how effectively the, the the threats in the movie were going to be portrayed. There's a there's a line between uh, caricature and valid threat that is difficult to kind of maintain, and it was always going to be a tightrope walk no matter how they shot this, no matter how much money they had, no matter how much time they had. But the, the thing is, built into this story, and it's easy to go on past because really it's a it's a big B movie with a lot of exploitation elements, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of blood, a lot of violence, a lot of sex and nudity, and just all the various things that you know get butts on seats regardless of whatever the hell you think you're communicating with your script but there's a, there's some thought put into this and I think that it, that can best be summed up by the thing that's repeated several times in the movie which is the kind of I kind of the the, the phrase that the 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 prisoners are told to live by which is the seems to be kind of for the entire culture this this future society they're living in which is freedom is obedience obedience is work and work is life. And it's this fascistic view of a society that uh, not only presses down and suppresses uh, the, the the individual, but you know not, not just deviance, but also just individuality in any way, shape, or form. Because it's uh, it's kind of a right wing totalitarian, the kind of thing that would have grown naturally out of the Italian government set up by Mussolini in World War II. That if you know if spread, this would be the way it would be. You would have these kind of camps and. Everything that was even slightly deviant would end up in these camps, and which means that eventually almost everybody would end up in this society passing through this camp by one by one reason or another, yeah, exactly. unless you were the most white bred and careful person that there was that it was capable of, capable of being. But the, the 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 dance this movie has to do, whether they set out originally to be that way or not, is that line between being silly and being sadistic. And it's like if you're too silly, you can't take the sadism. It, 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 you can't take the sadism seriously enough for it to have effect. But if you're too sadistic, the silliness kind of gets drowned as well. Mm-hmm. And this movie kind of finds a weird way. It's not comfortable all the time, but it finds a weird way to kind of have the silly elements. For instance, I can't not laugh. I can. There's no way I can see the scene where the where the meat filled pants fall on the, on the, <laughs> on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and not laugh out loud, okay? I, just, I can't. And there's also no way that I can't like pump my fist in the air and go, yeah, when Thatcher's, you know, the 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 the, the dummy of Thatcher gets machine gunned into, into into a dozen pieces. I find it entertaining as hell. But what's funny to me is that it's satisfying to watch it as the spectacle that it is, Thatcher being blown into a dozen yeah. pieces. But it's also really effective in the story that's being told because it's like, yeah, fuck that asshole. So I think they somehow managed, you know, regardless of what the act- some of the actors involved may feel, but they managed to actually, they didn't get 100%. Let's, let's be clear. They didn't no, get 100% no, they didn't. of what they were aiming for. They didn't, get a, they didn't even really get 100% of what was capable to get out of the script that they probably started with. 
But man, we're talking a high 70% percentage level of working their asses off and managing to get across what they probably could have gotten out of the circumstances under mm-hmm. which they made this thing. Yeah, I and think it, they did just fine. And yeah. one thing that, even though a lot of people, actors and so on, have said bad things about being in this film, I didn't see a lot of interviews where people talked about Brian Trenchard Smith. Everybody said he did. Right. He worked hard. He did everything. He was good with me. So everybody liked him. Oh, well, everybody and, seemed to have nothing but positive things to say about him. Yeah. And that's... From what I understand, that is true of almost everybody who works with him on yeah. on every on every film apparently, which is that you know he he's one of those guys who's good at rallying the troops and saying, okay, our circumstances currently suck. Here's how we're going to fix what we can fix, and we're just going to go on past whatever we can't fix and move on. Yeah, they did they did really well for what they had. I mean, you know, as far as like the uh, futuristic like Road Warrior type movie, it's just barely one of those. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's barely in the future. You know, it, 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 it's very ramshackle the way it's set up for that. But you don't care because nope. it flows really well. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, we sit here and talk. I sit here and talk about like, yeah, I'd, really, I'd like to see this character develop and this happen. But yeah, would but, but then, then we might not have gotten. Yeah, then we might not have gotten what all makes us love this thing. Yeah, exactly. yeah. It's like my, when I thought about Jennifer versus Griff. That'd be another movie I'd like to see. This movie, oh, yeah. I'm good with what we've got. You know, I mean, there's not a lot of changes I would make. I mean, I'm I'm still confused about the whole Teen Wolf's drunk uncle. Thing. Like, where the fuck did he come from? It, it, it makes yeah, exactly. I mean, did, we, I got him from a circus. Yeah. Well, like, okay. Okay. Great. Now, could you could you help us out with a further explanation of this, please? But no, they never do. There's a there's a lot of things kind of left un, not not very well explained, but. You know, sometimes some some of my favorite movies are the same way. You know, it just is what it is. That's right. It's that we we're not going to explain this. It's just there. It is. And the, your description, you use the word ramshackle. That's a good word to use. Yeah. Because it really is this kind of shambling mess of a thing that still somehow manages to get the job done. Yeah. I I don't know. I mean, that that's true of a, of a number of movies that you know kind of fall into you know weird melded hybrid genres like this, where maybe all the pieces don't fit together very effectively, and maybe you wish certain elements of it had been done better, but it still works. And maybe because of all the flaws, that's one of the reasons why you like it as much as you do. Exactly. And it's kind of like the the best exploitation elements. It doesn't like. Uh, the bad guys always get their comeuppance no matter how bad they are. Yeah. There's a, every misdeed is paid back for in some way. Um, cause you know, one, one, one thing I've always noted about from my problem, certain exploitation films, they like, we go into the rape revenge, um, genre. Yeah. There was a, I think it was last house on the beach. There oh, was yeah, like yeah, I know, yeah, I know the film. 99% like rape and terrorizing these women and then 1% revenge. I'm like, there's not enough revenge. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah. needs to be more revenge. Like, we need the last 10 to 15 minutes of the movie to be the, the comeuppance. That's where it needs to be and not the last two minutes. Yet. Yeah. Because yeah, otherwise be you spend the whole movie just being depressed and yeah. not having it, yeah. not enjoying at all what and, you're seeing. And then, oh. And that was a really tough movie to watch, especially a tough movie when you have your wife in the room with you. And I'm just like, I'm just trying to finish it at this point. I just want to get to the end and then I'll be done yeah. with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... <sighs> Steph even tried to go to sleep during it. All she could hear was women screaming all the way through. She's just like, this is not a good movie. It's really bad. I'm like, I know. Well, did she Did she like Turkey Shoot? She didn't watch it with me. Oh, I wish she had. I wish we had Steph's input on this one. So, Well, I can give you a slight bit of wifely input. The one the first time I was going to watch it for the podcast. So I was like, well, 
I'm not really interested in that, so I'm going to go to bed. And um, 90 minutes later, I get up, and she has closed the bedroom door, <laughs> which she normally doesn't do. And the next morning, I'm like, I'm sorry. I wish you just got up and told me it was so loud. She says, well, you couldn't have heard me. But every time I was, oh, I was ready to fall asleep, suddenly there'd be screaming and explosions. <laughs> and after about the third time, I'm just going to close the door. <laughs> well, I, uh, I did... Uh, I don't know if the correct word is make Beth watch this movie with me because Beth's curious enough about these kind of movies in the first place that it's it, she's never it's never a real hard sell to get her to watch something like this and I knew this movie well enough to know that she would under she would get into the spirit of it uh, but there were there were moments when she was like well this is a little darker than I expected but then you know once the comeuppance sequences begin uh, she's on board and she's like oh let's make more popcorn this is good stuff <laughs> oh yeah uh, Steph loves stuff like this so she probably would have watched it with me but I, I take uh, I go overboard on taking notes and a lot of my note taking is just so I remember stuff yeah. oh of course because I have a horrible short term memory so I mean I've probably got like 20 pages of notes I've barely looked through in here but um Sometimes the act of just writing it down helps exactly so I'm having to you know watch a little bit stop watch a little bit and that's going to bore the hell out of her and the only other time I watched it was like right when I first got it, and she was already asleep. So she hadn't watched it with me. She was interested, but when she knew that I was going to be doing the notes, it's like, there's no point because you're not going to be able to follow because I'm going to keep stopping it. Yeah, and one final interesting little footnote about that is I think it was Thursday night, maybe Wednesday night. I posted, Ryan and I both do this, we'll put on Facebook, I'm currently watching oh, such yeah, and such, turkey shoot. which is a lot of fun because people will chime in sometimes with little things, oh, I remember seeing that when I was a kid or whatever, right, and you get right. kind of little funny moments. And like, for instance, when I said, watching turkey shoot, and you said, coincidentally, so am I. <laughs> well, a lot of people why. will click, you know, like or love or whatever. The first person to like that I was watching turkey shoot was my 80-year-old mother, <laughs> <laughs> who I suspect... Did not really know what I was watching. Nope. Nope. Because <laughs> I can guarantee, I would bet my mortgage, my 401k, and everything else I own that she has never seen this movie. <laughs> and there's no reason for your 80-year-old mother. And I can also this. guarantee she would not like it. <laughs> Probably not. I can also guarantee you my 87-year-old mother has never watched this movie either. <laughs> Well, uh, just a few, just a couple of uh, of little, little notes to put at the end of this as we as we as we wrap up talking about the film. Is first of all, even if this movie had not been as entertaining as it was, having the kind of of ending it has, I, I always love that the ending that points the way toward uh, a, a continuing story that never gets continued and there's no reason for it to continue, but just that that's the kind of story it is. Is this is just the beginning of what could be. You know, a completely failed attempt at, at rectifying things, or maybe the start of a, a change in the way things are done in this in this dystopian world. I love those kind of endings because it's it's kind of a weirdly extra grace note of upbeat ending. Yeah. It's it's a it's not just that the good guys won; it's that the good guys are now going to take the fight bigger. And I kind of always enjoy that kind of thing, so that's cool. I call it the "haha, we're anarchists" scene. Is <laughs> that they look at they look at the carnage, they smile at each other, and they walk off camera? And I'm like, "Yep, I know what you guys are thinking. <laughs> we're gonna fuck shit up." First, one of my thoughts on the opposite end of that though was like, "Well, unless they can find a boat, this isn't going to be a long revolution." <laughs> Fair point there, because yeah, they could just be bombed out of existence. Uh, a few things that this movie has that I think are 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 
a, a great addition to any exploitation film. One, we have lots of examples of the evil laugh. Mostly, oh, from, yeah. from, mostly from Roger Ward, but from other characters as well. Just this evil, the evil laugh is a kind of standard of this type of picture, and I'm always glad when it's there. Dodge. Uh, it, yes, yes, yeah. really good one there. I am a, a big fan of any movie that finds an inventive way to inject shower scenes, and this movie goes out of its way to have both genders naked on screen. Here we go. No way around it. You want to see, you want to see tits? Yes. Want to see dicks? Yes. We're doing it. When I was taking my notes, I actually wrote, co-ed, sh- co-ed shower. Ooh la la. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. One of my uh, favorite things about these dystopian films, and this is something that, that doesn't get talked about a lot, but I just wanted to kind of end with this idea, which is one of the most evil things about the way these governments are set up, and it's just it's the way any fascistic authoritarian government will will eventually reach this particular point, which is that all crimes are equal. It doesn't matter what you've done, you end up at the prison camp. If you're just associated with, if you just have the suspicion near you, you just end up at the prison camp. It doesn't matter if you murdered people, you've escaped from other prison camps. It doesn't matter how nasty or uh, vicious a person you may have done. You're also there with people who are just going, I didn't do anything, and literally didn't do anything. Well, it's like with the Rita, it's like, well, why are you in here? Well, I'm kind of a whore. Yeah, exactly. I just kind of. Well, that is like they 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 called me a prostitute. It's like she may or may not have been. She may just been a, may have been a promiscuous woman, and that was enough to get her tossed in here. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't. They, there's one other section of the story where they kind of hit at her, hit at her, saying like, you know, use what you got. Yeah, yeah. To Chris. Yeah. That's the only other time you really get any of that from her. She isn't very, a very fully developed character. Definitely not one of your favorite ones either. Mm-hmm. No, no, but it, but it is. Uh, so it's what you kind of have to expect from a movie with this many characters in it. So yeah, you, can only, you can only spend so much time in the movie not be two and a half hours long. So, Well, so folks, I'm guessing uh, we all obviously enjoy this movie. I don't, I don't know if it, it would be appropriate to ask you where on a 1 to 10 scale you, you'd situate this because it being an, uh, an exploitation kind of exploitation thing, there's the, there's the joy you get from it, and then there's what you would call it as far as a movie's concerned. But for me, this has always been like a solid seven. You know, it's not as great as it could be. This movie has the potential to be an eight, but it just can't make it over the hump. But I really enjoy the shit out of this movie. So for me, it's a seven on the ten, one to ten scale. I'm thinking six and a half. That makes sense. No, no, that's that's, that's yeah, that's good. That's a good call. Yeah, I understand six, it. Yeah. Six and a half is a, it, it's a lot of fun, and it's like you said, there 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 is potential for it to be a little bit better here and there. But I mean, if you're at a party and you're watching this film, you're gonna have fun. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Your friends and, are gonna be drinking. You're gonna be hooting and hollering at the end of it. And yeah, that, that's and, a, that's kind of an important, important key for like a, a lot of movies like this is the the party aspect of it. Are you it, gonna be having fun? And I yes, think you are. That, that aspect of it that I was talking about earlier, where you just if you just walked in the room and this was playing. There's a lot of points past about the first 20 minutes where if you just walked in and saw this playing, it'd be easy to get sucked into it. Oh, yeah. 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 Absolutely. And I would give it, I think, a seven and a half. Okay. All Although, right. if you look at what they were able to pull off against all the op- obstacles that they had in their path, yeah, I really, you almost really. have to go up to a nine yeah. as far as what they were able to do with so many last-minute revisions and budgetary. I think that's one thing we didn't even mention is that the budget was slashed. Yes, quite a bit. By like half or something. Some you know, ridiculous amount shooting. of money. They, they had, like, I think they had like uh, a certain amount of money and then like suddenly like 800000 of it was gone. Yeah, you know, so just, it was just going off of what they had to work with. They really worked miracles pulling yeah. this all together. 
So uh, overall, I would just like to say, guys, good choice. I'm glad you talked me into you. You didn't have to really twist my arm to talk about this movie, but good choice overall. Good job. Thanks. I think Ryan was the first one to bring this up. I'm not going to take the, too much credit for this because this was, I think, his idea, and I was wholeheartedly seconding that one. This this is a great choice. Or I'm sorry. Bobby. I, I didn't mean Ryan. It's Bobby. It, Ryan okay. is not his name. I was thinking of that guy on American <laughs> Idol. Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. You said it a few times. I don't really care. Who knows what his name is? He's just that guy over there. Well, you, Ryan's you, you his might, You, might, you, might, you might, might know my, my first kayfabe name, kayfabe name, but you don't know my last name. <laughs> I still have my secrecy from my corporate job. <laughs> Okay, folks. Well, uh, in general, uh, I know that uh, I know that uh, Mr. Hazard over here. I'll, I will I will use the the fake name just effectively. <laughs> uh, just uh, just out of curiosity, I know that you're uh, you're firing back up the old podcasting. So what's going on there? Yeah, third time's a charm because the last two times I was on this podcast, I said I'm going to get started. I'm going to get started. I finally got started. Good. Um, gonna. Uh, I just did two podcasts that I've sat on for almost two years. Um, I did my last episode of I Hate Music, and then uh, I did I did an episode of Beat on the Cast with my buddy uh, Ryan Sweeney. We covered Mondo Bizarro by uh, the Ramones. Cool. Um, so I Hate Music got canceled because I'm bringing the original podcast, which is what everything goes under anyway. Uh, Spring Break Forever. We're bringing it back as a super show where it's going to be. Kind of similar to like a wrestling podcast, also to occasionally the Six Five Super Podcast, but there's a bunch of different segments. It won't rely on just me and the the original guys because we can now now that I can do Zoom technology, um, we don't have to get drunk for an hour and a half and just rely on ourselves. We'll have different stuff that we'll do. Like I want to interview some brewers. I know some bands I can interview. Cool. Um, I have talked to HUD about being on. We we might do grunt. That would be great. Well, I was just going to say on 605, I know that's the Brian Last yeah. podcast. Have they ever covered Grunt, the wrestling movie? Uh, not to my knowledge, but I haven't listened to a lot of it. I, uh, but, I mean, that podcast can go for like four or five yeah, hours. Yeah, well, if a podcast truly wanted to be innovative, <laughs> innovative, they could cover that. I mean, that's fertile territory that has not been plowed, Mr. Huh. Rod. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Uh, I will be uh, waiting for the next slasher that you'd like to cover soon. <laughs> but uh, 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 how about my, slash the wrestling movie? <laughs> uh, just just to wind it down, uh, my old movie podcast uh, where we cover five minutes of trick or treat. Me and Eric Hellhammer, five minutes after midnight, we're bringing that back. Cool. Um, that'll probably be the next thing I work on because he's been wanting to do it since he moved away. And now that I know Zoom technology, I can do it. We can go back to cover five minutes in the movie, and I think uh, on the next episode we're also going to do um, the the second the music segment that we always do is all going to be about Fastway, the band that did the soundtrack. We're going to cover their first four albums. Good choice. Okay. <laughs> um, so beat on the cast will come back eventually too. Spring Break Super Show. So I, I've got a lot that'll be coming up in the future, just doing it at my own rate. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to getting started back. I was burnt out for a little while doing podcasts, and now I'm like back to this is fun again. Cool, good, so, good, good. If I, if, if yeah. I was any part of that, I'm I'm glad that I am. I'm, I'm glad to be I'm glad to be any help if I you, was. You were you've been my guru for the last couple of years, like giving me good <laughs> advice when I was tackling this thing on my own. So I've always appreciated all the good advice. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Um, here's that uh, here's that twenty man. Thanks. Twenty man. Thanks. <laughs> 
basically, it's going to come back. It's all going to be under uh, Spring Break Forever podcast, all the stuff that I do. There's no se- separation or anything. I just use it as a channel cool. to do whatever the hell I want to. Uh, iTunes, Podbay, all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, so, we have- folks, if you, I guess you could just look up uh, Spring Break Forever and be able to locate it that way. Yeah, we do cover some movies in the past. Uh, uh, Five Minutes After Midnight is the most movie-oriented one. Uh, hopefully, in this, when I start doing the Spring Break Super Show, we'll actually... I'll actually have some movie stuff in there too, because you know it's a big part of my life. It always has been, so that's kind of something that needs to be thrown into the pot there. So, well, Mr. Hudson, just out of curiosity, have you got the uh, the the next film that you want to cover with me, or do you want to? Uh... I do. In fact, we uh, we talked about this the last time, but there's been it's not like there's nothing going on in this world, so it's hard no, to always no. remember. But Hard Boiled, the John Woo movie. Oh, yes. that's correct. I love yeah. that movie. That is yeah. a great film. Absolutely, worship at the altar of that movie. I haven't so. rewatched. I haven't rewatched that in a number of years. Yeah. So okay. that's the one for me. In a lot of ways, that's almost kind of the culmination of... I mean, because I believe that was Wu's last Hong Kong film. It was. Before, yeah. It was his yeah. last yeah. one. Yeah, that's a, that's an incredible oh, Such an amazing film. I've seen that forever. It's I love so it good. so much. Maybe we, uh, maybe we include uh, Mr. Hazard over here in that conversation. I wouldn't mind that. I'd be glad to participate. I think we might need to talk about this off mic, folks. Both of you. John Hudson, Bobby Hazard, thank you very much for being here. This has been a blast, as always. This is a, this is a good little trio to have. I'm yeah, glad, it is. And I this. will, um, without sounding too sentimental here, I know you've got your own podcast, mm, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I don't, so I absolutely love doing these with you, Rod. So uh, as much you. grief as I give you with... <laughs> Wrestling movies and invisible chimps. If you ever heard the things I say about you behind your back. Well, I've heard, and I still love you, man. I love doing this, so thank you for having and, uh, me. I'll blow some smoke, too. This is actually my favorite movie podcast. Oh, well, thank you very much. Yeah. We, uh, we, we, we aims to do something different all of the time. Well, everybody, thank you very much for listening. And uh, remember, if you've got anything you want to add to the show, the email address is thebloodypit at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your comments on this movie, any suggestions for anything in the future, any ideas you might have, throw them our way. Be glad to hear. There's also a Facebook group that uh, people occasionally post messages on, and then I struggle to find the correct notification and be able to answer you. It's, uh, it's <laughs> my God, the notification aspect of a page on, on Facebook is... They must Terrible. make it. They make it. They must make it difficult on purpose. I swear. Oh, yeah. I well, swear. It's just they do. horrible. I mean, one last rant. I guess. Go right ahead. Show. Because one of the groups I'm in is like Blu-ray bargains or some such. Right. I'm sure you're in the same group, and I'll get a little notification like so and so has posted a bargain. Oh, let's see what's for sale, and you click on it, and the top one is from November seventeenth. <laughs> you yeah, know, there's like, a sale. Yeah. Well, where's the thing they're talking? And I can't find it. Can't, and, can't we arrange this stuff in? chronological order for fucks it's that simple today is this day that needs to be first yeah that day the one I just got a notification for should be the first one listed yeah that's the one I want to look at I don't need to scroll through the next two months of shit or the past two months of shit just to figure out what the hell I was looking for Uh, yeah you're right anyway enough bitching about Zuckerberg the son of a bitch (laughs) thank you for listening and uh, guys we will talk to you later 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 on folks
Natural Musk is always on on point and ready to go. Hmm, I'll take your word for it. 